We who are about to die salute you. How's it going, everybody? The Chris's are back. Uh, we come to you at the end of the war, but not the end of the book, thankfully. This is Moratory Mondays, episode number 26, and we are looking at Strike Force Moratory number 26. How you doing this week, Chris? I am doing amazing, sir. And we are fresh off our, you know, our special edition, you know, our pre-bagged, foil-wrapped edition. Yeah. Yes, our gimmick <laughs> cover. And we're bouncing back, I guess. <laughs> we're bouncing back with another special. This is the Chris Beats the Living Tower out of Mark Bagley's Art Edition. So there get we set. We were waiting for it. <laughs> oh, it's here. It's here. He's arrived. He, he's not in full uh, full Mark Bagley hatred mode, but uh, the... the uh, the sketches are definitely there of uh, of the Mark Bagley that I dislike, so I can't wait to get into it, brother. <laughs> yeah, we're not in full plastic surgery uh, Mark Bagley uh, faces here yet, but we're we're getting close. Uh, we're getting a little so, elastic, you know. They're sort of they they're flexing right now. Yep. <laughs> but uh, let's just get right into it here. Uh, this is, of course, Strike Force Moratory number twenty six. Had a February nineteen eighty nine cover date. Now, the story title is The Last Moratory, which uh, is a little misleading, but maybe not. But we'll get there. Written but by the, James the cover D. Says, the cover says it's the end of the war. So what's, you know, the last moratory or the end of the war? What is it, Chris? I'm confused already. I, and we're going to be even more confused at the very end of this issue. So uh, stay tuned, <laughs> <Sure>. gang. <laughs> now, this one, as as are the rest of the books, written by James D. Hudnall, pencils Mark Bagley. Inks Val Mayrick, letters Phil Felix, colors Max Scheel, edits Carl Potts, boot camp by DeFalco, cover oh. price, one, <laughs> boot camp, $1.50 USD, $2 Canadian, 50p UK, had a release date of October 4th, 1988. And uh, October, most fans don't know that my birthday is in October, so every time I see October, I'm like, yeah, did you ever do that when you, when you were... Uh, when you were a kid, when you knew that it was your birthday month, you're like, oh, yeah, now these books are going to be the best of the entire year. And they never oh, are, but that's OK. My birthday, my birthday is two days after Christmas, so uh, I, I usually get lost in the shuffle. So, so. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, we bring special attention to the boot camp by DeFalco here. Um over on the blog, I don't, you know, I don't know how much crossover there is between listening and reading uh, or reading and listening. So uh, there are people who read the blog who don't listen to the shows, people who listen to the shows who don't read the blog. But uh, I just started covering Marvel Comics Presents over on the blog, which was uh, one of those big DeFalco you know, projects. Uh, we talked about it a few weeks ago here on the show where like every house ad and every news blurb was about Marvel Marvel Comics Presents, their biweekly uh, anthology series. I, I thought we that have this, this was this, I thought this was actually becoming a Marvel Comics Presents backup, you know, podcast. <laughs> I, I started to feel like, like we were covering Marvel Comics Presents more than we were covering Moratory there for a while. So, yeah, this is sure uh, this like is it. 
Yeah, this is one of DeFalco's big bets. So you talk about, you know, you had Jim Shooter leave on the on the brink of New Universe. So, you know, you had to have every single editor always has to put their stamp on, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, their signature footprint. And I think this is one of DeFalco's main stamps that he had was doing this anthology series. And it, it's not a bad one. So I'm glad you're covering it, Chris. There's some good stuff so it's far. It's true. It's true. But the funny thing about it is... Uh, on the inside front cover of uh, Marvel Comics Presents number one, it's a credits list. So all four stories, there's a Wolverine, a Man-Thing, a Shang-Chi, and a Silver Surfer. And we talk, we've talk. we been talking for a couple weeks now about this stringent boot camp that DeFalco and Grunewald are putting the editors through because they want everything to be on point. And Marvel Comics Presents was a book they pushed very hard, and they messed up the credits. No. They messed up the credits. They mixed Shang-Chi and Man-Thing's credits. So it looks like <laughs> Doug Mensch wrote Man-Thing and Steve Gerber wrote uh, uh, Shang-Chi. And it, it's just so <laughs> funny that they're making such a big deal about accuracy and uh, efficiency of the editorial process. And they just keep making these like really, really silly mistakes. And uh I don't know that there'll be any in this this issue of Moratori, but I just thought it was worth noting that uh, the boot camp ain't doing too hot, <laughs> oh, especially man. when it's like their most promoted project of like the quarter, and and they screwed up the credits. But uh, <laughs> we digress. <laughs> that is terrible. Like seriously, you know your your editorial staff are tied up. Obviously, you're still in boot camp when stuff like this happens. I mean, the mm-hmm. only thing that you have as an artist is your credit in that book. Not only is your work on display, but just sure. imagine busting your hump. You know, you're trying to meet these deadlines. You're sweating. You know, this is your this is your third redraw of this stupid eight-page, you know, <laughs> story, and they don't even get your name right. That's <laughs> true. Yeah, no, Anarchy. And, and now poor Doug Mensch is like, he's he's seeing a, a stupid blog, Chris is on Infinite Earths, giving him credit for a man-thing story he never wrote. You know, it's... <laughs> Because I kept the credits the way they were listed in the book, because that's what I do. Uh, now, into Strike Force Moratorium number 26 here. We have a solicitation, which is basically a synopsis of the story. Um, we'll, uh, we'll read it. It's only a few sentences. Uh, sometimes we save these for the end, but at this point, it's like, let's just do it. Now, the solicit reads, the alien horde has been defeated. Well, not yet, but they will be. Uh, but are the aliens who conquered them friendly or Earth's greatest enemies yet? The moratory Bravo wants to know, and she wants to know fast before she dies like her friends. Oh, man. If I Listen, if I wanted to be a tool today, I'd be like, spoilers, spoilers, <laughs> even though it's a book from 1988. Oh, man. You talk about telling, like, revealing all your cards at once. I mean, the entire story is right there. Yeah. The horde has been true. defeated. If you've been reading this book, the Horde was nowhere close to being defeated as of yet. But now in this issue, suddenly they're done. They're so done. They're yeah, done. The Horde know. have been defeated. That's how they opened the... the oh, boy. Seriously. Um, why not just tell the rest of the story, honestly? I mean, they're, they're, you know, every every plot thread is out there now. And this is basically the entire script on the page. So, you know, <laughs> we either go feast or famine when it comes to these things. I don't know. And and that was the sound of everybody shutting off this show because they already know what happens. <laughs> they don't need to listen to the maybe, rest of it. <laughs> maybe they're intrigued to find out how the horde, you know, finally been defeated. That's true. Or maybe they think this Look. might be a, an instance of editorial boot camp gone afoul. Maybe maybe this is wrong. <laughs> uh, You're right. 
it, it's funny though because like this is very spoilery but then i'm thinking back to uh when i used to do uh reviews of dc of, of current week dc comics over at weird science and uh we'd get the uh they would send out a couple days before the books would come out after we'd get the comps because we'd get the comps about a week in advance and then a few days before the issues would hit the stands we'd get like the preview pages because uh DC would want the preview pages uploaded on the site so people can decide whether or not they want it. Sometimes these preview pages were 10 pages long. Oh, my. A a DC comic might only go 18. So you're getting over half the book for free. It's just very silly. I I guess that's part of the reason why why the sales are, are where they are right now. <laughs> wow, you're you're not joking. If anyone's oh, yeah. a a can of a can, listen to me, a fan of the current product. Yeah, so DC had a whole bunch of layoffs this week, and I mean a lot of canceled titles as well. I mean there's a lot of drama going on over there. They can't decide where their video footage is going. So you know turmoil and changes in the air for the comics industry. And um, mm-hmm. you know when you look back at 1988, you never ever thought we would come. To this place, I mean, comics were my world and your world. I mean, you know, that was the thing that, you know, that our universe spun around. And just to think that, you know, there might come a day when there may not be a tangible physical comic book on the shelf is uh, is a scary thought. It is. It is. But it's it's almost like one of those things like we did it to ourselves. Uh, Oh, yeah. The the fandom, the industry. I've never seen an industry that was in such a rush to to go extinct. It's uh... no, no, it's headed there fast. I mean, we we introduced digital, and usually digital is the 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 downfall of uh, of you know industries all the way around the world. Because as soon sure. as you modernize something and make a technology to make something easy, uh, you know, it just takes the uh, it takes the air out of everything. You know, the print editions and you know what made the thing special. Because I mean, honestly. Mm-hmm. What makes a comic special is taking it off the rack. I mean, I, I remember buying Strike Force Moratory right off the rack and holding mm-hmm. it in my hands and thumbing through the pages and smelling the book and the colors, even though the colors weren't as brilliant as you'd get now. It was it that's what you you know, that's what you woke up for in the morning as a comic fan. You loved oh, yeah. it. It was, it was part of the experience, yeah. It was part of the experience. And then they shifted to digital. And I know, you know, I become a digital fan, but you know, nothing does replace that book in your hand, man. And uh but and one other thing, and, and this is this is a funny thing. Uh, so I started this comic art class mm-hmm. and uh, I'll tell you one thing that I have discovered. Boy, are you digital artists, some cheap ass bastards. <laughs> wow. Chris, some of these apps that you can draw with. And if you have not did digital art or downloaded any of the digital art apps, mm-hmm. it is almost criminal how fast you can create a comic book. <laughs> And when when I thumb through some of the uh, some of the newer ones that I go, I'm like, oh my god, that's you know that's that uh, you know graphic, that's that insert, that's that panel, that's you know what I mean. You could really see all this stuff played out in front of your page, and uh, it gives you a real bad vibe for digital art. So I'm glad we're back in 1988 right now and back in Strikeforce <laughs> Moratory because this is where I live, and hopefully. You know, these comics stay around so we can keep enjoying these these things like this. Or if not, you know what? It'll live in our podcast forever and a day, just like there this show. Go. So there you go. <laughs> it's funny. I feel like I, I was born just like a, I, I'm always like right before things get easy, I get into doing things uh, like <laughs> like when I was doing like when I was trying to make comics back in like the late 90s and early 2000s. You'd ha- you actually had to have like a lot of skin in the game if you wanted to have oh, yeah. something out there in the world. 
I remember, you know, you'd have to go to the art store. You'd have to buy the right, the right kind of paper. You'd have to buy the right kind of pens. Yeah, for me, I I went out and I paid like $400 for a tabloid-sized scanner so I could wow. scan my art. Yeah, because, wow. I mean, you, it isn't like today where you're – where like you, the camera on your iPhone will take a like a pristine picture of whatever you're drawing and you can upload it and edit it that way. I mean, you had to actually lay this thing out on a on a tabloid sized um, scanner and wait like five minutes for the thing to all the way across. <laughs> and well, think about this. It would come yeah, out so bad, too. <laughs> it wouldn't come out great. <laughs> think about this for a second. So say, for example, you're in charge of drawing Strike Force Moratory. You're Mark Bagley right now. OK, mm-hmm. so you have to draw this end of the war book. So someone tells you you need to draw the, you know, the Paidea headquarters with a series of office desks and chairs and, you know, windows. And then you need to shade and do all that stuff. Chris, I have an app when and this is no joke where, <laughs> where where you can get physical 3D models. You can pose them with your finger. You don't even need a pencil. You can sit them in a chair. You can actually select an office desk, a chair, windows and then you can hit a shade button. It will do it all for you. And then you can hit convert to line art and it draws it for you. Oh, my God. That's insane. It, draws it for you you can literally go in and put your own faces on it and do your own coloring but these guys are taking us to the cleaners i am telling you now so i was i was shocked so basically there is like zero reason for these books to be late even though they are by months at a time zero reason jack kirby must be rolling over in his grave and i'll help him because this is ridiculous crazy <laughs> oh man now uh speaking of our our book here let, we, we mentioned that the cover has a blurb on it the end of the war and it has a close-up image on it of uh brava and a hordesman it looks like they're engaged in a uh professional wrestling fans would know this is a collar and elbow tie-up <laughs> they're in a grapple they are grappling, and Brother uh, Brava looks like she is straight at NXT on this cover, too. She's uh, totally. one of the, actually, Bagley drew this cover, and I'm going to give yeah. Mr. Bagley a good shout-out here because this is the best Brava's ever looked here. No doubt. I mean, she, she looks fierce. She looks beautiful. You know, the hair is popping in signature mm-hmm. Mark Bagley, you know, parting in the middle, almost hockey mullet style you got <laughs> going on there. The only thing, though, is the Horde, the Hordian himself is sort of off color. He's orangish, like he has this weird look, and he's holding a pistol, which is also sort of weird. Like it's not a Hordian weapon, so it's kind of... Yeah, it's like an old school, like a, like a human pistol. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I like the cover. It's like an up-close shot of like Brava, and he's locking up with the Horde, like you says. It's definitely wrestling the gun away from the enemy, and yeah. uh, it is definitely the best she's looking. A great facial shot. So this is a really tight shot. So you only mm-hmm. see them from like the shoulders up. And uh, I love the hair, and you know yeah. it actually relates to what happens in the book. I For mean, sure. you talk For about sure. the last few covers, which had nothing to do with the interiors. Mm-hmm. This one is actually. You know, actually tells you what's going on in the book, and it tells you it's the end of the war. <gasps> Imagine. No misguided, vague outsourcing here. You actually got the interior artist doing the cover. So mm-hmm. there's synergy there. You you don't have a guy. He knows driving. what he drew on the inside. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't have a picture of like a horde sitting back in a lawn chair on a mountain. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's actually what's happened. I love it. 
Oh, this is a very eye-popping cover here. Yeah, Bravo looks great. She her hair looks like a like a old school like pinup girl, like the victory rolls on on top <laughs> yes, and it does. looks really good. The, the Hordian though, if if you didn't know it was a Hordian, you wouldn't be able to tell because the Hordian signature chin isn't visible. It just looks like a like a flat-faced generic alien, really. Yeah. No and, and being off no color sack. as well. Yeah, no sack, no sack, and the color being different, uh, really just. E- like for all we knew, this could have been another race of alien altogether. But uh, in our mysterious Vexians, it might be. It might be. So let's let's hop on inside here. All right. Now we open up here and we get a quick and dirty recap of the war thus far. Now we learn that it's been three years since the Vashak or the Horde arrived on Earth, and initially humanity embraced these new visitors almost like a. Almost like, you know, the opposite of what happened to the elves in that castle in ElfQuest, you know, the, uh, <laughs> the very opposite. Um, now, only to find out that the Horde, upon arrival, intended to conquer them. Mm, see, this is part of the book that we missed out on. So mm-hmm. everything that we knew was that it was just a straight invasion, Independence Day, Will Smith and Jets. You know what I mean? That, you know, that's what that's my impression. From, you know, reading the early comics, the Anderson Gillis run, I mean, you know, it was just a straight up invasion. We didn't know that they were their friends. So this mm. really, really reeks of one of my favorite series, which is V. Now, if you haven't seen V number one, shame on you. <laughs> and uh, you, you haven't been following my account or liking my tweets because I tweet about V more times than V themselves or, or Kenneth, you know, the guy who Kenneth <laughs> Johnson himself. I, I I probably do more press for his stuff than anybody. But <laughs> um, anyway, it's the same thing. So. The visitors in V, they come down and they, you know, they try to be friends with the humans. I mean, their whole catchphrase was, you know, the visitors are our friends. Are our friends, yeah. Yeah. I got to tell you something, and I only found out about this recently. Do you know how they did their advertising campaign for that? No, I don't. Oh, it was beautiful. So they had these painted pictures of a visitor with Earth children up in his arms, and, you know, he's got the sunglasses and the ball cap and, you know, the visitor uniform, and it says... The visitors are our friends. So they took these large promotional posters and they put it all over cities, okay? Mm-hmm. So these things, with no explanation of what it was, not saying it was a TV show, not saying that it was a show coming soon on NBC, nothing. Just oh, these wow. straight pictures, okay? Now, before the show was going to go back, they got a group to go around with spray cans and spray paint the red V across them to advertise it. Oh, and then, nice. And that was on the brink of when the uh, when the show was coming. So we had all these ominous pictures floating around, like, "Hey, the visitors are our friends." I'm sure it confused everybody. Like, I don't know what's going on with this guy. And the, you know, the, you know, was this a you know a mega campaign or what's happening before its time? <laughs> Nobody knew. But anyway, then you got people going around and they spray painted like they defaced these things like they do in the show with the spray paint. So, you know, visitors. Yeah, which was really, really cool and striking. So I had no idea that happened. But I'm in one of these super nerdy V groups on Facebook and they they Mm. did. They put out the whole (laughs) campaign and I was like, yes, baby, that's that's awesome. But that is awesome. But just like the Horde, I wish we gotten that backstory. So that would have been fascinating to see it play out similar to V that they came down and tried to make friends. And, you know, then all of a sudden. You know, blew the place up and stole their resources and cut off babies' heads and, you know, all the regular stuff that they did in the end. It's true. But, uh, it's yeah. true. And I'm, I'm wondering if maybe Hudnall is conflating some of the backstory here because I think it might have been the Cats issue back in the day, the Wills Protasio Cats issue, where we did see the Horde arrive on the Cats planet and the Cats tried to embrace them as friends. 
and ah, the, the horde yes. took them out. I, I don't know if maybe he's conflating those two stories, or maybe if this is just a story we didn't get to see. Um, either way, that is now <laughs> that is now the retconned continuity of uh, Strike Force Moratorium. I do um, like that because it's a piece of history that we did not get. So it's true. I love it. Yeah, it's true. And uh, since this is issue 26 and not issue 27, we can assume that this is part of the Peter B. Gillis uh, plan because this is supposed to be all Peter B. Gillis's plan until 27. So we'll uh, we'll, we'll play along. Um, so <laughs> now the Horde, the Horde, of course, they intended to conquer the Earthlings here. And so war began. Now, for a while, it was a one-sided battle with the Horde just decimating the planet. That is, until a little something called the Moratory Process was created. And uh, did you know, gentle listener, that once a human undergoes the Moratory Process, they are doomed to perish within one year? Because uh, <laughs> if you didn't, now you do. <laughs> so I'm going to deconstruct this a bit, brother. I'm going to go Ellen Moore a bit on this. What's amazing, in the past issue, there's been like more emphasis on dying from the process than, you know, than the whole one year bit. So yeah. let's bring it all back home here. So let's talk about, you know, how to picture all the deaths that they've had. Has anyone mm-hmm. besides one particular person lasted more than a year or even got to the year mark? No, Has any just, of them? Uh, no, just, uh, just Aileen, right? So that sort of takes the, uh, the entire, I have one year right out of the equation. So I don't know why they keep beating this one year to death because none of them have lasted a year. No, no, they sure haven't. Yeah, I think the closest one we got besides uh, Aileen was uh, was Deguchi, and we're yes. we're still not even sure he's dead yet. But uh, yeah. but uh, yeah, I think he. They said that he was like only like a month or two away from the uh, the year. So yeah, so it's very we'll, interesting. We'll, we'll stuff. give him two, but I mean, we're after going through three generations basically of moratoria, yeah. and you've only got two that can lay claim to even coming close to the year. Absolutely, absolutely. Now. Now the Moratories, after of course they were in they were infused with this process, they were able to fight back the horde and even best them on occasion. But then the others came. Mm. Uh, were you a Lost fan? You have any uh, yeah, yeah, memories absolutely. of the others? Especially, so the, <laughs> I I did actually, and that's one of the things that fascinated me. So this this others theory where you have somebody. So anyone who's watched Lost, you know, it's all about. It's a J.J. Abrams deal, and it's about a you know a group of survivors who crash land on an island, and you know, uh, for me to explain this entire series is uh, is a lost cause, but they days, need another yes. <laughs> yeah they need another group who's also been shipwrecked on the island and has been there a lot longer than they have, called the Others, and of course they're like a uh, you know they've developed their own little Lord of the Flies mentality, and they you know they're they're up to no good, you know they're the natives of the situation, so you know it's like this this pack that comes in in an enemy group, so you know the the theories of the the Others it's not a new concept, so you know where I first discovered like an Others theme before, and you're gonna laugh. Hmm. What's that? Gilligan's Island. Okay. Same deal. So, you know, you get the uh, the people who, you know, the Skipper and Gilligan and the whole crew, they get the castaways. You know, yeah. The castaways, they get stuck on this island, Gilligan's Island. But do you know that that while on the island, they meet up to no less than three separate native groups? And, of course, you know, they try to cook them, boil them, and do all the regular all stereotypical yep. things that those, those <laughs> natives typically do. And, uh, yes, yeah, the same deal. So there's always, no matter where you get... 
you know, one of these I've been shipwrecked or or plane crash on an island, you always get a set of these others. So when the vaccines came into play, that's the first thing I'm thinking of. Oh, it's the old Gilligan and Skipper. Look, and I I love when you brought up the lost thing, because I was like, yes, that's exactly what this is happening here. Mm -hmm. So new group injected to the mix and chaos ensues. I loved how in Lost they kind of uh, like flipped the script on the Gilligan's Island way uh, where like the others were actually like suburbanites. They had their own like perfect, pristine suburban neighborhood that they lived in. It was just really, really weird. Who was their Uh, recently? Wasn't it? Was it Jacob? Jacob was the uh, like the blonde dude who like hung out on the beach. But Ah. was it? Miles Ben Ben Miles Ben Doctor the, the little no like the little weaselly scientist guy oh yes 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 yeah I, it's been years since I watched it but uh I recently discovered uh, or came across a show called The New People it was a a short lived show uh, I think it was an ABC show from like 1960 late 60s and um it starts out very very similar to Lost. It's a it's a group of students that are flying home from uh, somewhere in uh, in Eastern Asia. Uh, they were on like a student trip and uh, they were all like half of them were hippies and they were it was like very like anti-war. And so they were kind of rabble rousing. And the uh, the local government was like, get these kids the hell out of here. They were all American kids and uh, they fly back to uh, to the States. And along the way, they crash land on this island. And uh, there's no way off this island. They they travel deep into the island and they find a town that's empty. It's it was a place where they tested uh, military weapons and stuff. Very very similar to Lost. And it just uh it, it was one of those things where you discover it and you're surprised you've never heard of it before because it's just so so close to something that was so huge in Lost. But uh, I think there's only one episode that isn't Lost. <laughs> <laughs> literally oh, man um, i would i would literally show. like to check that out so yeah i, I get maybe we'll uh we'll link to the uh the only surviving episode of the new people in the show notes i i i hear it was like 13 episodes but like 12 of them are locked in some sort of university vault or something Ooh, that yeah. so it's not available <laughs> online anywhere no one's leaked this no, not not anything except for the first episode. But the first episode has um, like clips of what's to come, and it looks it looks like it's going to be very. It would have been very interesting uh, to watch through uh, a lot of uh, a lot of interesting politics there. There's a like there's a there are there are some black students there, you know, and then there's this one racist guy who uh, they, they a plane comes flying over the island in the first episode uh, because they you know they found out that the plane went down. So they build like a signal fire to to signal this plane that's flying overhead, and this racist guy puts the fire out because he doesn't because he, <laughs> oh, he doesn't it. want yeah he doesn't want the black people to get off the island he wants them to die on this island it, even oh, if it wants even if it kills everybody he wanted to get rid of them because he was you know a, a piece of crap and uh, they wind up being stuck on this island because of that guy it's 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 interesting stuff we'll we'll link to it in the uh, in the notes here it's. Definitely, you have me, uh, me intrigued. I got to track down. Do they have like um, any like episode guides or anything like that out there, where it like details what was in the other episodes or anything? I haven't been able to find any because I I kind of fell down this rabbit hole a few months ago, and uh, I I was only able to find the first episode on YouTube, and uh, I, I checked all the all the less you know <laughs> savory sites to see if I could find <laughs> it. And, uh, 
Yeah, all all I can get is like occasionally you'll find like a message board post uh, with someone reminiscing about it. So you might get little bits and pieces that way. But uh, wow. as far and, and I don't think it ever actually had an ending. So it's uh, so I, I think even if we did somehow get all the episodes, it would still be kind of underwhelming because I don't think it ends. I think it was just canceled. But uh, well, but definitely it could, it interesting. Could be it could be up to our generation to finish this. There you go. We got <laughs> to find this well figure be. this out. I love it. Good stuff. <laughs> Uh, no, we have uh, we when we open up here now, this this bit here about, you know, the quick and quick and dirty catch up on the war. This has all been narration from the point of view of our last remaining third gen laboratory member, Brava. Uh, so Brava just feels like she feels like the she's the last of our moratory. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, despite our hatred of, you know, Gen third Gen three right away. I mean, you know, we gave these guys a hard time, but they were, you know, they were literally casted as a bunch of pricks anyway. So, mm-hmm. you know, it took time for Bravo to be accepted, you know, as a leader by me, and we never ever got any development from her. We had no reason to really get behind her. We knew she was strong, no. but I, I mean, that's so. that's a yeah. yeah, that's about as basic as you got. But I love this where she she knows she's only got certain amount of time left. She, you know. Uh, she knows she's the last of her own generation. So not only has she seen like G2 die before their eyes, but she's seen all her friends, her her group, her circle die all around her. So she knows that technically she should be next. And, uh, you know, this mm-hmm. character direction is long overdue here, in my opinion. For sure. For sure. Now, while this is going on, we can see Hordian soldiers being wasted in space. Like we just see them floating in space and then burning up upon hitting Earth's atmosphere, which is... Uh, you know, out of their bag of tricks. Uh, remember, the Horde did the shooting star trick. Uh, Karma's a bitch, my brother. Didn't it? <laughs> that was that was like way back in like issue two or three, um, <laughs> where they would drop humans into the atmosphere and watch them burn up. But now the Horde are the stars. So uh, uh, nice flip flop. <laughs> Great visuals here too. I mean, it yeah. gives you an impression that you know this Horde they've been ravaged by this new threat. So it's good. It's good to see some good old comeuppance on our our, our sack chins here. For sure, for sure. Now, Brava continues, and we can see that uh, our strike force is on a South Africa-bound jet, and their mission is uh, plain, simple, and a little confusing if you've been reading along with us. Uh, They're out there to kill the Horde. Yeah, this comes out of nowhere. You talk about this. So suddenly, now they're after six issues of, you know, we got to hold this war and, you know, we got to make profit and, you know, we got to make sure that they don't execute the horde and locking up our moratory just as, you know, basically, you know, media friendly propaganda superstars. Now they get the order to kill the horde. This this like it flies. Yeah, it flies into the complete direction that Hudnall was going in, in my opinion. So but. There is an explanation, as with everything. So, you know, Sheer died last issue. We had Yuri die. We had a change up into Paidea. So I'm just wondering if, and I might be giving them too much credit again, storyline-wise, <laughs> but could have this change into Paidea leadership be a change with a new game plan as well? You know, is this new threat, these vaccines that are lingering, are they the new meal ticket? Or is, you know, is that what they're going to hang their head on now for this new war and just, you know, flush the toilet on their old friends, the horde, who've been paying their, you know, paying their checks for months? But uh, something it has changed be. here for sure. Yeah. Yeah, because you get the feeling like uh, maybe the Padilla sees the writing on the wall here. They're like... These uh these new these vi- new visitors are going to win the war for us, which is going to make the moratory look impotent. You know, like what was the point the whole time? Why, why would uh, why would Earth put their faith in the Padilla when 
it, when it took them three years to do what the vaccines did in five minutes. It's, uh, <laughs> Here, bingo. So, so it's like, okay, let's get them at least on the same screen, you know? <laughs> let's get our guys out there. But uh, now speaking of the Horde, let's check in on those rascals for a bit here. Uh, we see a commander of the Horde is being given the order that the Vashak will be lifting oh. stakes and skadooing off the planet PDQ. <laughs> so this answers the question. Think about it. If the, uh, you know, the Horde does know their, their enemy. They know the vaccines mm-hmm. clearly because, you know, like they're it. big and. Yeah. Yeah, because they're a big enough threat to them. You know, not not only have they shown force on on these uh, on these poor Hordians or whatever, but they know that to get out of town quick, you know, they got to get the hell out of Earth because you know this threat is really real. So so far, what we know about the Vaxians is that number one, they send scouts around the universe because we've seen the first Vax come down, the old fish face guy. Mm-hmm. And have they been hunting the Horde? You know, are they common enemies? Have they had a big long past? My thought was, and this is my headcanon again, maybe the Horde stole from the Vaxians. Maybe some of these ships, some of this technology that they've seen is Vax related. And now they're coming That's back possible. for yeah. what's there. So, you know, someone someone robs your vehicle. You know what? If you know where that vehicle is, you're coming for him, Chris. You're you're sure. you're, go, you're pulling in that parking lot or that driveway and you're going, oh, <laughs> hell no. <laughs> That's a fact. You're giving back the Wrangler right now. That's what's up. <laughs> <laughs> now, the Horde also knows that the Moratori are on their way, and they have an ETA of one hour. So this is like uh, one of those episodes of MASH where they got to bug out. You know, they got to just fold the tents and get out. Now, uh, the Horde, they are keeping tabs on their on these new others, right? So the vaccines. And they reveal a bit of intel that they, the vaccines, have sent a probe to the fourth planet, otherwise known as Mars. Ah, so was the, one of these probes one of those uh, vaccines that we've seen before? Vaccine, the guy mm-hmm. who, uh, yeah, the fish face guy? Because that seems like what their probes are. Is it a probe ship? No, these guys literally fly through space, <laughs> which is cool. <laughs> uh, but anyway, they're talking about Mars here, which is interesting. So we haven't got any knowledge about, you know, what's gone on with Mars in the future. So is it suddenly inhabited? Yeah. You know, what's what's there? Does it have resources that they need? You know, what is the whole deal around Mars? Do they have a living ecosystem? You know, have we finally colonized Mars? We don't even know. You know nope. what I mean? So they haven't defined what's good about it, but the beauty of it, it's one of these other mysteries that I think we're going to be uh, that we're going to be milling around and mining. So it's more fertile ground for stories. So maybe we'll see a uh, a Mars battle sometime. Who knows? Absolutely. Now, this Intel report is cut short by some electromagnetic interference. Max Hedrum. <laughs> could, it could be. <laughs> That's a, if you don't know what Max Hedrum is, kids, just just do your homework. Go on YouTube. It'll, it'll tell you. He loved Coke. That's all you that's all you need to know. So, you know, we get a roll. Caught the wave. Yes. Yeah. So so this is why I put in my head cannon where I think that the uh, the Hordians may have stolen a few play cards out of the Vaxians because we get a rogue broadcast here. So obviously now the Vaxians can cut in, cut into, you know, Hordian signals. They can broadcast themselves over the air, which we see a little bit later. And this is a little trick that the Hordians have been using. So, you know, superior to the humans who haven't quite figured out that piece yet. So, you know, we have, you know, were the Hordians using, vac- you know, vaccine stolen tech? You know, is this one of the reasons why they're able to do all this stuff? Maybe they just robbed these people's, you know, super tech because, as we know, the Hordians are not super tech friendly themselves. So everything they've accumulated 
has been from their plundering. So I got a yep. funny feeling that this tech came from, you know, someone who had a clue what they were doing, which could be the vaccine. So they're coming back for their Tandy 1000 from Radio Shack. They ain't putting up with it. Now, Max Hedrum and a rogue broadcast. Uh, I'm sure you're familiar with uh, with the <laughs> Max Hedrum incident, right? Oh, no. What's the Max Hedrum incident? I can't You've wait. never seen the Max Hedrum incident. Oh, now, this is something I learned about uh uh, like way after the fact, because if I found out about it as a kid when it actually happened, it would have scared me half to death. Um, yeah. I, I was hanging out with a buddy um, probably around the turn of the century. And he uh, and since, you know, anybody who likes comics automatically loves sci fi and loves all that stuff that I really don't care for very much. Uh, <laughs> he's like, he's like, hey, I got this other friend who you'll, you'll be you guys will get along great. He loves sci fi. It's like I, I read X-Men. Come on. Um, so it was. <laughs> So we, we, we hung out with this dude and, uh, the guy's like, he gave me the old wizard's test. He's like, uh, he's like, well, I'll be able to tell if we'll be friends. If you could tell me what a TARDIS is. Oh, and wow. Like, and I'm like, I, I had no idea what a TARDIS was. I didn't Going know. Dr. Who on your ass. There you yeah. go. That's, that's yeah, a sign so, of a nerd right there. So I was like, I was like, I, I don't know, <laughs> you know? And uh, then he was telling me, he was like extolling the virtue of uh doctor who and doctor who is something I only watched like. I think I watched it the first week we had sci-fi channel. Like there was like that magical day in like the summer of like 1993 or 1994 where like we got Comedy Central, Cartoon Network, E! and sci-fi channel added to the cable lineup. And it was just like a whole new world of just weird stuff to watch. And uh, I remember watching like a week's worth of Doctor Who and just I I didn't get it. I didn't, uh, uh, you know, it. It just didn't seem like must-see TV to me. Oh, um, now, what were you watching? Like the old PBS-style stuff? It was, yeah, it was the, the I think it was... Tom Baker? The, the guy with the curly hair. The, yeah, the, Tom the, Baker, yeah. With, like, the scoff, yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, so it was him. And uh, I th- it was, like, something I wanted to like, but I just really couldn't get into it. Maybe maybe I, I you know, sold it short. Uh, maybe as an adult I would like it. But uh, when I was a kid, I was just like, this is way too dull. But... Uh, <laughs> But like, but getting back to the earlier point, um, the guy asked me what a TARDIS was. I had no idea, so I went home and I was reading about a TARDIS, and it brought me to Doctor Who stuff, which brought me to this little bit about a a broadcast intrusion. Um, now during an episode of Doctor Who, it was like on at like midnight in Chicago, um, back in the probably right around this time, late '80s. Um, some dude in a Max Headroom mask. Uh, pirated the PBS station, broke in. And, oh uh, yes, you remember, right? Oh, you, you told this? you you've actually told me about this okay. before. This is a great story. Go ahead. Oh man, and and he was just uh, this this dude has never been uh, identified in in like you know almost you know thirty odd years. He's never been identified, but it was just even watching it now, it's very unsettling. But I couldn't <laughs> imagine me as like an eight-year-old kid because this is like that's like the scariest thing in the world to a oh kid oh my god I mean, oh yeah that's like an hide. intrusion yeah it's an intrusion into your living room where I, I think it's a fear that doesn't exist with like current generations because we're we're all connected now i mean if you don't get an intrusion on your phone you're, you're thinking something's weird <laughs> you know but like back then, imagine like settling down midnight, watching an episode of Doctor Who, nice, slow British, you know, TV show. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, 
than a dude in a Max Headroom mask getting his ass whacked with a fly swatter. You know, I mean, <laughs> it, it is it is insane stuff. But uh, but I mean, I'm I'm studying to find out what a TARDIS is, and I see this Max Headroom thing, and I forgot all about Doctor Who. It just became about about this <laughs> this Max Headroom mystery here, which uh, oh, just interesting. Maybe that'll be another thing we'll link to because that that one's easy to find on YouTube. So uh, I, I want you to do one thing for me with Max Headroom. <laughs> Yes. I want to make sure he makes the corner box this month on that. <laughs> he was, uh, on he's that already there. <laughs> he's <Yes>. already there. <laughs> Thank you, brother. Perfect. Yes, that Max Headroom will be there. It's uh, it's interesting. Very, very interesting. But uh, back to our story and back to the moratorium here. Our man Dan the Scan takes a seat next to Brava, and they have a pretty weird little chat. Now, they talk about current events, which involve, you know, Sheer going nuts and uh, the new aliens arriving. They don't discuss the fact that Dan the Scan is going to have a uh, very pervy mustache uh, during Electric Undertow. I, I, oh. <laughs> I flipped through the first volume. No. <laughs> he looks very bizarre. Um, now, Brava also talks about being the last of her generation, which, uh, you know, as mentioned before, this has really gotten under her skin because, by all accounts, it stands to reason that She's the next one on the block, you know, uh, barring, you know, weird whatever. She is next to go. Now, oddly, she feels bad for Dan and she feels bad for the rest of the fifth geners, you know, Revenge, Burn and Lifter, because it looks like they signed up and forfeited the rest of their lives at precisely the wrong time. I mean, after all, this war against the Horde, the whole purpose for the moratory process, the moratory effect could be over tomorrow or even later today. Oh, man. This is, you made a great point here, man. I love mm. that. So it's, it's, picture this. So you're getting your dream job. I don't know, something that could become irrelevant. So, say, for example, you know, you got hired by Encyclopedia Britannica and you had to do, you know, a door to door salesman of encyclopedias. You know, that was going to be your new job on the day the internet arrived. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. This is exactly what that is. So, but here's the trick. So here's where my mind goes instantly, and I try to make the best out of these stories. So maybe some of them know Talima has the cure for this moratory process, so they basically won't die. So think about this. If some of them had some inside intel, they know that now they could almost have eternal life, or at least, you know, while they're living under normal conditions, they could have super jacked powers, and, you know, they could really have some quick control. So picture when you when you think that these killer moratory are coming up. This could go bad quick. I mean, the sure. Paidea thinks they can control it right now, but, uh, you know, this could go south. This could be – this would be what I would have written – if I was writing a, uh, a moratory sequel, would be that, you know, someone has found the cure, has tweaked the process, they're out of control, and then you got to bring in a new group, you know, with a non-tested moratory process. That's exactly where I would have went. But here's what uh, – and Valiant, this was a Jim Shooter idea. So he had this exact concept. So if you were an early Valiant fan, there was a, there was a title called Hardcore. And uh, mm -hmm. basically, it's a group of, of humans who sign up for uh, or basically are government agents uh, with superpowers. You know, they're telekinetic. They have all kinds of different powers. They can shoot fire. They can do it all. However, similar to Moratori, they're bound to die because they work for basically their own version of the Paidea. But okay. the Paidea has them set up with detonators. So if anyone gets out of line, <laughs> you're toast. So that's one of the beauty things. So, yeah, so if you like a moratory-type story, check out Valiant's Hardcore. It's one of the things that I think that you're going to like. So, anyway, it really keeps you in check. And this may be 
the best time ever to become a moratory because there's actually a cure on the horizon. You could have unlimited power in life and, uh, you know, give your bosses the, the, the boot in the ass out the door and take over, baby. Mm. <laughs> so that, that hardcore sounds like, you know, one of the things that this book gets compared to a lot is Suicide Squad, which to oh, me yeah. doesn't make much sense. Uh, the, I mean, the uh, the Strikeforce Moratory mixed with is compared to Suicide Squad, which I don't get. But uh, hardcore seems like a blending of Moratory and Suicide Squad. Oh, yeah, it definitely is. Most certainly is. I mean, you, you can... Um... I mean, Shooter has his fingerprints all over different things from X-Men mm-hmm. to you you name it. You see the Marvel sure. imprint. You see the Marvel New Universe, for God's sake, you know, taking mm-hmm. shape in here because Harbinger is basically a combination of uh, DP7 and Cyforce. and DP, you know I mean? yeah. So, I mean, Absolutely. there's a lot of there's a lot of different vibes here for sure. And Strikeforce Moratory is definitely more than inspired, uh, you know, is the inspiration for hardcore. 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 Yeah. Definitely. Absolutely. Wild. Now, uh, let's head to New Haven here uh, and uh, meet up with Dr. Tolima, who is now attending to Red Cougar Mellencamp, uh, <laughs> while, while the man with the ill-fitting fil- Ill suit looks on. <laughs> Do you think that a guy in 2020 would, would have an appropriate middle name as Cougar right now? Would that be, would that be something? <laughs> is that cool? Still cool? Because I tell you what. Was it cool the- then? <laughs> yeah, ba- well, well, back in the day, man, I thought John Cougar was wicked cool. Uh, you know what I mean? Oh, John Cougar Mellencamp or John Cougar Malamar, as Beavis and Butthead called him. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I loved, I loved John Cougar Mellencamp back in the day. But back to our Cougar, the old Red Cougar. So he, we see him here. He's still wearing these bandages. Well, I guess it might be only a day later, so we'll, we'll give him that. But, you know, who's underneath, who's underneath the bandages now? What did they make him look like? I think that's what my, my mind right goes to. You know, could it be like a Victor situation where they got to change him up, like on Days of Our Lives, that type of thing? Is he a Karyakis? You know, th- think about this. You know, do they make him look like Harold? Could he be like a member of the Black Watch? You know, that was the whole intrigue behind characters that I love growing up, like Wildfire from Legion of Superheroes, Snake sure. Eyes and G.I. Joe. I just loved, you know, what was under the mask. And Death sometimes Stroke. it was. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I tell you, one of the biggest disappointments as a comic book fan was when they took the mask off of Snake Eyes. And you look at him and you're like, eh, it's not that bad. It was just, just like, yeah, yeah, he's got like. He's got like a little scar. Maybe he had like, you know, chicken pox or something as a kid, you know, but it it wasn't terrible. You know what I mean? You're picturing this hideously scarred freak in nature. And all of a sudden he's got like two, two cuts under his eye. You're like, he's not Deadpool. Yeah. No, no, he's not Deadpool. I wanted Deadpool. Like that's what should be under the snake eyes mask. But no, a couple scars. We're good. That's it. But this is, this is a plot line in itself. You think about that. If I'm a writer, you know, I definitely want to play with the idea that we haven't seen what this guy's face looked like. Could he be, oh, yeah. you know, could he, he could be anybody? Some, he could be anybody now at this yeah. point. So that yeah, could be your juice for sure. Yeah. Oh yes, absolutely. Now uh, we learn here that uh, while Dr. Tolima has been working on that cure and they, you know, they think that he's got it, it has never been tested on humans yet. Uh, no, but what if they captured like a vaccine and, you know, maybe that's the ticket or maybe a hostage hoardian, you know, think about who they could line up and just stick with this cure. You know what I mean? Sure. You know, all the criminals in jail. It seems like the Pidey is real, a big fan of like, you know, pushing people into the program, you know, criminals or people who were hostages aboard a hoardian ship and they, they're framing them to be, you know, to, uh, to have to go through this process. So, I mean, you could do a lot of things with that. So you could, you know, could be a captive, like an alien captive, or it could be, you can literally test on criminals and just, you know, dump the bodies at the end of the day. No harm, no foul. 
And, brother, that's certainly, as we've seen, in the Paideas wheelhouse. So there you go. Sure. Absolutely. So now, since it hasn't been tested on humans just yet, this uh, covert team, for all they know, the cure that they were promised might be as worthless as their lives, you know? Because uh, if they do test these things and it doesn't work, well, then what? They're just screwed. Yeah. Now, that, now, our ill-fitted fellow friend here, uh, he questions how much longer the war might go because, you know, these new aliens just came in and they're just kicking ass. Um, and he also wonders what this might mean long term for the Padilla. You know, they, they yep. if there's nothing, if there's no threat, if there's nothing they can hang over humanity's head and no purpose for them being there, you know, as the as the ruling power, then then where is their power? You know, that exactly right. democracy might break out. Uh, you know, the countries might split again as they as they, you know as they are in, in the real world, you know, and have their own governments instead of having a one world government like they do in, uh, on earth, uh, 18, what is it? 1987 or whatever. 1287. There we are. Now, speaking of the Padilla, we shift uh, over to Cherokee mountain, Colorado, where the Padilla <laughs> bigwigs who are being led by aunt May. Uh, <laughs> it is freaking aunt May. It they're, is. They're having a big mover and shake a meeting. Oh, as promised, as promised. And everybody's <laughs> been leading up to this one. They've been waiting. When is Chris Bailey going to bash Mark Bagley? Well, sit back. Here the time <laughs> the time is here. So what I dislike about, and you know what? It's common between a lot of artists. So think about John Byrne. John Byrne draws two characters. He draws Clark Kent, Superman, and Lois Lane. And he just changes <laughs> up the hair or makes him skinnier, but they're the exact same character. Same with Mark Bagley. Mark Bagley draws Peter Parker, and he draws Aunt May. And if he's drawn Mary Jane, he just de-ages Aunt May, and that's what, what it is. And everyone looks friggin' <laughs> elastic. And I thought, I just thought... That the first time I saw Mark Bagley's art on this book, it was like he didn't have his elastic face style at this point. He didn't have everybody with like the the uh, you know the hockey cut and the parting down the middle with their hair like he normally did, and you know the big flowing you know uh, fringes off the front of your hair. He didn't have those things, you know what I mean? So I was like, oh man, mm -hmm. this looks great. I can't believe it's Bagley. And then I open up this book, and it was 100% everything I disliked about Mark Bagley. There was Peter Parker. Aunt May is running the government, for God's sake. I mean, uh, <laughs> I think this one is a little bit of a downgrade in quality, uh, from, from, for me anyway. It, when, yeah. when I saw what he brought to the table in his first one, like plush backgrounds, which he still maintained, so the guy, you know, and I'll give the guy credit, he's not using like a, uh, you know, a $1.99 free piece of software on an Apple device. He's actually drawn this <laughs> stuff, so I'm going to give Bagley a little break, but man... I can't believe it. I was like, oh, my God, it's Aunt May. I, I, I yeah. was I was horrified. And this is the beginning. And this is early, early on in Bagley's career. But this yeah. never goes away. This stays it with doesn't. him for the rest of his career. Doesn't anyone have the balls to go up to Mark Bagley and go, can you stop? Stop twisting the knot <laughs> on the back of these characters' heads and making their faces look like. Because, I mean, the guy can draw bodies. He can. Sure. He can draw Poses perfect are great, pose. dynamic, uh, yep. mm -hmm. dynamics, his backgrounds, he can do it all. But when it gets to the face, it's like, holy shit, did you miss art <laughs> class on face day or what happened to you? <laughs> we got to we got to get Rob Liefeld to do the faces. <laughs> OK, fair enough. Fair enough. That bad example. Bad example. <laughs> gotta, <laughs> no. gotta be, 
you have to have your eyes knit together and you got to have 900 wrinkles and you, you have to have one of those, you know, growling teeth where you have like an extra set of teeth on top of your teeth. An extra to be row, robbed. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this is definitely, I mean, cause we have our man fake ass Lamont. He enters the room and he looks just like Peter Parker. Um, <laughs> and we, and then he, and it's like, if you were to just pull this image out and post it anywhere, You'd think it was an issue of Spider-Man. You know, it's it's Peter Parker standing behind Aunt May. Only Aunt May is scowling instead of just being, you know, a doddering <laughs> old fool. Um, so, yeah. So fake-ass Lamont enters the room, and he is quickly called on the carpet by Aunt May, who is the prime minister of the world government. Now, she calls him out for suggesting that the Moratori don't take the fight to the Horde in South Africa. Look at Strike Force Moratori here, like getting it a groove on with like the female prime minister. Now, <laughs> for context, this was the era of over in the UK anyway, of Margaret Thatcher as a as a yep. prime minister. So, you know, that was a thing. So that was timely back then. But, you know, that sort of went away after a while. So then it went to, you know, you had your your classic old white man with his mega hat on. That's what you had as a government back, you know, for many years. But back then, buddy, we were progressive back then because we had Thatcher and she was a crusty curmudgeon and she was you know she was a nasty woman as donald trump would say but uh you know she got shit done and now we got aunt may here running the world government the world <laughs> government chris yes not not even like not even the united states or canada no not yep. north america she runs the world government the Man. planet yes it's a, it's a, it almost the title almost sounds cartoonish but you know i thought yeah. it was i thought it was a cool thing they had a woman as a as their leader i thought you know i was i was digging this even though it was aunt may now, uh, you see, this, the whole thing here is that she's using this to take credit for the Horde's imminent evacuation, right? It's like, uh, it's like if the moratorium are on the on the playboard, you know, and the and the Horde are leaving, but the the cameras show that the moratorium are there. That's good for the moratorium. It's good for the Padilla. It's good for business. Yep. But uh, it's like, did did she forget that there's like these new aliens with a ship the size of the moon right outside the atmosphere? Who, <laughs> I mean. It, it's not a secret, right? Yes, but listen, if you're the government and you're new to the government or, you know, you just taken over this world government and all that stuff, you're going to take credit for everything that falls in your lap. I mean, I know a certain guy in power right now who takes credit for everything. <laughs> so whether he's done it or not. So it's pretty, it's pretty cool. So, I mean, you know, this is this is not a this is not an old thing. So no. uh, I, I kind of like that. She's taking credit for stuff other people did. It's cool. Now we hop back to the team and uh, it's 45 minutes later because they're now only 15 minutes away from Cape Town. And uh, as they're, you know, nearing uh, South Africa here, they can see that the Horde forces are preparing to evacuate. Uh, at this point, Revenge and Lifter are positively pumped. And uh, <laughs> just like Aunt May before them, they seem to be taking credit for scaring off the big bad Horde. <laughs> this is my favorite piece of bagley art right here so you're getting it again mark line oh, up it's bad. Uh, oh yeah so there's a scene and they're aboard the uh i guess the the flight craft the the moratory striker jet the jump and, shifter uh, jump ship yeah yeah the jump ship so you have a picture and you, so picture this you have lifter and you have revenge and they're sitting in their seats and they can't wait to get their hands on the horde. So they're clenched fists. They're leaning forward. But it looks like they're, you know, in the throes of taking a large dump on the toilet. Like almost <laughs> like they're passing a small child. They're that. They're bent over. You know, they're really wrenching this thing in. It is hilarious. One thing that I find about Bagley's art here is that 
it's almost like he he's not he's not into natural poses at this point. Like everything has to be a bombastic pose. So something yeah. as simple of you know showing excitement and all this stuff is like this big overbearing. I'm on the toilet sort of you <laughs> a know full body contortion. Yeah. <laughs> yes, but it is quite <laughs> hilarious. I'm definitely gonna pop this up on Twitter because I mean someone has to see uh, see uh, Lifter here ready to pass the small child through her ass here. It's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, I mean she's got like the fist balled up and pulled back. It's it's it's. <laughs> It's yeah. coming. It's coming down the canal. <laughs> if there was like a bar next to her, she'd be holding on to it. If uh, she, I'm surprised she doesn't have like she's not like biting a sock, you know. Like, oh, the bar. I love the uh, bar. We have one of those at work. And when, when it when it comes that time, you know, it's funny because I use the bar. You're like, oh yeah, here it comes. Hold on to the bar. I don't know what it does, but anyway, it works. It's there. No. <laughs> Now, like we said here, these two are uh, taking credit for scaring the horde. So slow your rolls, fellas or folks, <laughs> newbies. Um, Brava, she's uh, still quite sullen over the whole deal. She can't really get on board with the excitement, and uh, maybe she just doesn't have to go to the bathroom, so it's okay. I'm not done with Bagley yet. (laughs) Bagley's Brava. So beautiful on that front cover. I just praised him up. I said, man, it's the best version of her I've ever seen. And man, when he's on model, she's like, she's beautifully rendered. Yeah. But I have one page and I just included in the notes. So just so you could see she's in one, two, three, she's in five panels Mm -hmm. and every single one of these panels, she looks like a different human being. (laughs) The only thing that I know is like, you know, he has to do one of his signature elastic faces, emotions, you know, and then the art just goes to hell. So you have one page, you know, where she has this curl dangling, you know, over the top. Classic Mark Bagley. He's got the old hair curl in the front, right? Mm-hmm. In the other panels, the hair curl is not there. Yep. Then she has a long forehead in another panel. Then she looks like a Native American. Then she looks like a white bread American female. And it's just, I don't know, it's just so up and down. It's like... Did yeah. they do a jam piece here with different artists and like you know hey do you <laughs> we just need one panel from you do a picture of Brava here we'll include it no it's Mark Bagley shitting the bed here folks it's a mess mm-hmm. yeah it's like you're looking at it and sometimes it's it's like you're looking at Danny Moonstar um, <laughs> it's it's very bizarre here um, it, yeah. if you didn't know you if if she wasn't wearing a bright red headband you wouldn't be able to identify her from from panel to panel it's very bizarre just watching this i gotta clutch the bar <laughs> there you go <laughs> now we're getting to, we're getting close to cape down here and we can see that it is bathed in crimson and it is a uh, like just crawling with padian forces here yeah. uh there's also been a lot of death a lot of civilian death now the the mortuary land and they are greeted by silence which uh i like i like this because there's no welcoming committee for them. There's no cheering fans. All there is is death and red, you know, and they're getting off. I mean, this is supposed to be like if if the Padian government is to be believed here, this is their crowning moment. This is them sending yeah. the enemy off planet forever. And they arrive to the silence, to nothing, uh, nothing but death. Um, now, the team now splits up to sweep the area here. We start with Brava. She heads off all by her lonesome and uh, says some, you know, pretty damning things. It's like it's almost as though she's resigned to the fact that she is going to pass. She's going to join her third gen brethren today, right now, here. I love this. I mean, like I said before, we never really got an emotional resonance with Brava. You know what I mean? She she's been there. She's been the strong girl. 
I love this. We got a little bit of yeah. character. We know what, you know, we know she's affected. She thinks she's going to die. You know, her last minute, she wishes she was somewhere else that she could enjoy something. So, yeah, she's resigned to the fact that she's going to die, but she also wants to survive. And uh, this mm-hmm. is where we get to see her finally flex her muscles, man. She's by herself, and stuff is about to go down, man. I'm telling you right now. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now, but before we get to her, we're going to hop over to follow our man, Dan the Scan, and Burn uh, as they mm. head down a decimated street. So Bagley has taken Burn's suit down a notch already. So, you know, yeah. almost gone is the katana, you know, Batman in the outsiders look she now's got like almost like a a less traditional it's not like a samurai warrior like it looked in the first uh, the other issue you know what i mean when they first yeah. introduced her she's almost got like a almost like a karate gi right now and with like fire imprint it almost looks like uh mikey whipwreck back in the ecw or something <laughs> when he came back and he had that those fat pants on and his you know the the shirt over the top with the fire on it that's what it reminded me of but i do you know i, I did like the the katana look because you know yeah. batman and the outsiders for sure the 80 series was life for me back then so anyway mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not uh, i'm not terribly down on the suit i think it's okay it's it's a cool yeah. look I keep picturing a Paco Ramon a vibe from uh, <laughs> Justice League Detroit when I see her because uh, it, yes. it looks very similar. Um, now, Dan, our man Dan the Scan here, he's able to sense some straggling Hordians hanging out on the roof of a nearby building, thereby coming to the realization that his powers are, in fact, more of the psychic variety and have little to do with the five senses. So what Will DeGucci told him in his dream is uh, coming to pass. Now, the Hordians, they start firing. They miss Burn, but they hit Scanner. Now, Scanner helpfully informs us that his horrible armor saved him from taking too much damage. He literally takes a bolt to the chest, and he's like, my armor saved me. It shouldn't have. (laughs) It really shouldn't have. We need more damage to that armor so it goes away permanently. Horrible, horrible uniform. Now, uh, Burn returns fire, literally, rendering the Hordians into so much barbecue meat. As she does so, she she shouts, Shine! which uh, mm. apparently means either die or go to hell in Japanese, which <laughs> we assume, we, we, we suppose that's better than just a konnichiwa or sayonara like we expected, you know. Ni hao kailan, ni hao kailan. You're just <laughs> using like the generic like go-to yes. Japanese word, but it's okay. This is a little bit better. They actually got me to go to the dictionary to see what shiny meant, so yep. there you go. You did it. It's... <laughs> yeah, it's like she, she shot a bolt and yelled Tokyo. What? Um... <laughs> Now, next, we come up, we, we meet up with Revenge and Lifter as they soar through the skies of the city. Now, Jason helpfully remarks that he's been wearing the Air de Gucci Zoom shoes. Uh, <laughs> might might be a nod to, to uh, the fact that Hudnall forgot to mention them last issue during all those weird aerial antics that we uh, experienced. Uh, you nailed it there, man. It was, I mean, clearly it was a missed oversight last issue, but probably a convenient one because they had to kill Sheer with a fall of all yes. things. So, <laughs> you know. We didn't need the air shoes loophole getting in the way of that. So, you know, plus we had the uh, the, the old Padilla plot where they had to make, you know, Sheer the outspoken guy. So, you know, they had to make him go away. So they took off his air de Gucci's while drugging him and just, you know, <laughs> sent him to his doom. So that's what happened there. So the de Gucci's were gone, but they're back this issue, baby. I like to have a pair of de Gucci's. That would yeah, be fun. That'd, that'd be somewhat fun. Now, now going back to your last piece of uh, headcanon here, I would love it if Red Cougar is unmasked to be Sheer. Oh, look That'd at you. That would be, be awesome. Because <laughs> Will DeGucci did, uh, you know, he did tip off, uh, what's his face, the scanner, to, the, not to trust Sheer. So maybe maybe Sheer will come back in a way, but not really be him. 
Now, uh, I think we, uh, I think we just, uh, we figured it out. No, I don't think so. Yeah. So, so, so she, yeah, just imagine like if I was writing this, I would have had Sheer kill this guy dead in his jail cell mm-hmm. and simply take over. Be the, be the yep. guy in the man, in the bandages, be the guy in the mask. Oh, look at you. Look, you're there writing this, book. you're writing this book. <laughs> she hand. <laughs> now we have, uh, we have revenge and lifter. They happen across some of the horde. Lifter drops a dumpster on one of them, while uh, Revenge kills another with his bare hands. Oh, this <sighs> did they actually write this scene? It's, Was there uh, any words written on paper? Because this has some of the most cringe-worthy dialogue out of any of the books in this entire run. So <laughs> they use words. Now this is a whole panel of action, and they're trying to be, you know, trying to be creative and sneaky, and they use words like it's almost like John Cena poopy jokes. It's like peekaboo, I see you, and Revenge yeah. goes surrender or die. What will it be? <laughs> I mean, like no human talks like this. Yeah, but anyway, I, I digress. Yeah. It's just one one of the few criticisms I got, but you know that one ain't worth complaining about. But it's there, and it's a very cringeworthy couple pages right there. I I couldn't stand it. It's definitely the worst few pages of the book right here. Yeah, this is like straight out of like Brigade Number Two or something. It's uh, <laughs> not hey, great. <laughs> hey, I listen to Rob Liefeld. Check out Rob's Observations, everybody. You know, find find it that fine podcast where you can hear him talk about his own work in glowing terms. There you go. You well, himself. someone's got to. <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, <laughs> we have, uh, you know, Revenge, he's killing uh, this one dude here, and he does greet him in in his native tongue, which I like, because that does play back to the fact that Jason was a hostage on uh, on the Hordian uh, satellite for a while, and he did learn a bit of the, the Hordian tongue. Uh, then Jason goes ahead and he shows off another aspect of his power set by uh, causing the remaining, the remaining Hordian's head to explode. Uh, apparently he can do some hoodoo with their molecules, which I guess is a good enough explanation for us, nebulous or not. Okay, I got so this brings up a question. You ready for question time? Let's question, do it. Question, question. We're questioning. Why is Brava battling alone when her good friend Jason could just stand on a rooftop and pop all these bastards' heads? So you got Brava yeah. busting her ass, thinks she's going to die on this day, and you got Jason just thinking about popping someone's head and her head explodes. I would be yeah, wh- pissed if I was Brava. Like you're, She's got to go through waves, nation, hordes of enemy, <laughs> and this guy could pop, the, pop their heads just, with just a thought. I, I would be a savage. Yeah, why, why don't they just send revenge in? Just send, just send him by himself, and he could just pop, 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 and be, be good with it. Yeah, and if if he died, nobody would care. Nobody would care. <laughs> now speaking of Brava, let's let's finally join her here. Now she, as we mentioned, is all by her lonesome, and she happens down an alley and comes across a whole slew of Hordians. We're talking like dozens of Hordians here. And uh, if you if you're familiar with this book and familiar with the last several issues of this book, it sort of feels like we're getting ready to watch her go down in a blaze of glory, doesn't it? It oh, feels yeah, like uh, it feels like this is her last stand. But uh, this is her. This is the Bon Jovi blaze of glory moment. It's this, true, this, but this is going down. But not so fast, Kimasabis, uh, because uh, Brava throws herself into battle and. Uh, well, she kills every last Hordian put before her. She does not yes. mess around. Yes, 
So what I missed about the uh, Anderson and Gillis run was seeing Marathon just steamroll the whole. Like it was, it was a guilty pleasure of mine. I was like, oh yeah, here we go. You're just gonna stick Robert in there, and all these bastards are gonna die. And Brava's mm-hmm. doing the same thing, except the only thing. We never got to see if she was truly, you know, up to the standard of, of Robert. You know what I mean? Yeah. Was she as strong as Marathon? She's been untested in battle. The couple times that we've seen her, she's been blown up. So you really didn't get to see her full, you know, her full fury. You know what I mean? And But you get to see it here, man. And it looks like mm-hmm. she's going down in flames. But uh, hmm, you never know. Mm-hmm. Now, the moratory rendezvous inside a large office building. We start with Scanner and Burn arriving first. And they discover some frightened... Cats huddled in the corner. Uh, can you believe it? Well, you know what? They're tying it all together. So yep. remember, the, the these issues are, are wrapping up the Peter Gillis stuff. So uh, the cats have to be addressed, I guess. Um, and we're not talking about actual felines. These are those cat aliens, of course. Um, now they are uh, the, these moratori are now joined by Revenge and Lifter, and Revenge heads over to the cats and he greets them in Hordian tongue. Uh, he informs them that they're now safe. And uh, they're more than welcome to call Earth their new home. I like that. So, yeah. so this, so when when I saw this, and you know that revenge can speak in Hordian tongue, so you know the cats instantly understand that. I think the way, and this is headcanon again, the way I would have put this off, so you're always talking about the Paideia, and you know, what's their next ace in the hole? Man, if Revenge was a heel and going to turn on all his comrades, this is oh, the yeah. this would be the one, because you got the warning. Deguchi warned us, you know, don't trust the new guys. Maybe it's Revenge. This guy, you know, knows the Horde. He came down. You know, he's trained. He knows the language. He knows the culture. What a better guy to even the score. Imagine having a human cross over and be part of the horde like the one of the leader or lead commander sure. wouldn't that be amazing i mean you see it in lots of different shows where you know uh v you get to see it you get to see human defectors you know you get that carrie bates character who's you know the lex luther of the group there you know what i mean who's who's mm-hmm. in with the aliens in battlestar galactica you get one of the guys one of the humans who takes the cylon side so this would have been cool as well like that's that's where my head instantly went man revenge would be an awesome betrayer Oh, and, and it would be – I think the, w- the way they could do it would be so simple because you could just have him shouting things to the Horde like strategy in Hordean yes! tongue right in front of the Moratori who don't understand it. They just think that he's like calling out to them, like threatening them when he's really like – he's like, cut around back. Get, get it from behind. Oh, man. They're not well, think talking. Of, well, think about it. He was a captive in space. Mm-hmm. You know, but they were taking care of him. You know, he sure. did have a diaper, so, you know, he could crap himself <laughs> yeah. and he was okay. You know, they changed it up. Need- he didn't need the bar. He had a diaper. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, his only worry was clean, you know, cleaning. You know, a he, cube. Had to, he had to clean a cube. That was all he had to worry about. And then he'd go to sleep in, in privacy. But anyway, the Paideia comes in, forces this guy to take a death. You know, what, what loyalty sure. does he got to the Paideia or the None. government? Yeah. yeah, they've they've injected him with a one year death sentence. True. I'd be pretty yeah. pissed off, too. I, yeah, think I think I think I'd be jump on the Hordian bandwagon and say, oh, nay, nay. <laughs> See, we're we're writing the rest of this year. Eh? <laughs> now, uh, finally, uh, you know, we have the the cats being greeted, and they're told they're cool to stay here. Then Brava arrives, and she looks beat to hell. She is really worse for wear here, but she's still alive. And uh, I love it. I love the way uh, Bagley draws this. I mean, she does. She looks like she's been taken to the cleaners five times mm-hmm. on Sunday. It really looks cool, and I'm glad she survived too, because you're like, yes. 
She cleaned <laughs> them all out by herself. It's even cooler. Yeah, I love it. Absolutely. Now, she tells them that it's time to take over the Horde's command center, which just so happens to be on the top floor of this very building. Naturally. Nothing yes. is ever on the bottom. You'll never have a headquarters on the bottom floor. Never. No, no, no. It's either the sub-basement or the penthouse. Um, <laughs> now, the mortuary climbed the stairs because they don't trust the elevators, nor should they. Um, and now, as they climb, we can see the fallout from the battle. It gets very cinematic here. It's like you have them making, you know, they're up a breezeway, and then we see what's going on outside. And then they're up another level, and there's another scene from outside here. So we're seeing a lot of dead humans. We're seeing a lot of freed human slaves as well. We also see the Padian army picking off some straggling Hordians who, you know, I guess broke away from their groups. Um, upon reaching command, Brava is annoyed that the Horde bigwigs have already fled the scene. They were expecting this to be a big climactic battle with, you know, the command, uh, but they're gone. Then a monitor lights up and on it we see a human looking fellow who, uh, yeah. yeah, he greets the people of Earth. And introduces himself as being of the VXX199. So, as we've been calling them, Vaxians. But oddly enough, I mean, we mentioned V a few times here. This fella ain't got no fish face. So, is this another V scenario? I guarantee you that's exactly... It's funny that they're called the Vaxians for V. I guarantee you that's more, <laughs> that's more than inspired. You know what I mean? Oh, it's gotta be, right? Yep. It's, it's and they're com- too they're close, com- yeah. They're coming to Earth. They're having these interrupted frequencies where, you know, a human-like face, exactly what humans want to see. You know, something that they're... But you know, oh my goodness, they're, yeah. they're just like us. And that's mm-hmm. how the visitors infiltrated Earth in V. You know, they came mm-hmm. down. They were lizards underneath, but they had these human-like masks and, you know, skin that it would they would cover themselves in. So they would mask themselves, but the humans were lulled into a sense of security for the simple fact, sure. like, yeah, they're aliens, they're visitors, but they're just like us. And they come with all this great technology. You know, they can cure our cancer and they can, you know, do all this magical stuff with resources. So, you know, they, they, they infiltrated them in the right way and then at the right moment – Bam, they slammed the door and took over that bad boy, right? So this is exactly, I think, what's going on here. You, no question. Yeah. Now, it turns out that this VXX representative has caused every monitor or television or e-reader or uh, what, uh, iPod, <laughs> Zune, uh No, this Palm is moratorium land now, so it's your the VCOMs. are all lit the up V-com. around me. All the VCOMs, and uh, they're, they're all lit up to uh, all across the planet Earth to air this message. And... Uh, we see Aunt May and fake-ass Lamont see it. Uh, Guy Harding and Aileen's baby see it. Dr. Talima and Red Kuga see it. Uh, we, we, we assume pretty much everybody on Earth seen it, but we only – these are the only ones we actually see see it, you know. Um, maybe maybe the, the Vaxians, maybe their secret weapon to uh, – maybe they're actually – they've already infiltrated us, so it's like a secret invasion. But do you know what the industry they've taken over? Hmm. They've taken over – the cell phone industry. So they're racking up data charges for every single user and stealing our money. So they're pulling That's a it. idea out underneath. Look at this. Look at these rogue frequencies. Everybody's being charged for these 10 World minutes Roman. of video. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Now, uh, the, the VXXian assures humanity that his people mean them absolutely no harm. So the, the VXX are your friends. Um, <laughs> yes, there you go. That's That's yeah. original. Yes, and in this instance, they have acted in Earth's best interest, driving the Horde away and whatnot, you know. Uh, he informs the Earth that the Vaxians won't even remain long enough to meet any of the Earthlings. They're, they're only here to do the deed, and now they're going to leave us in peace. So 
no harm, no foul. We're just help. We're just doing you guys a solid. You don't even need to thank us. Peace out. Yeah. So Any, interesting anyone, stuff. anyone who believes this clearly have much V. <laughs> right there's some rats gonna be eating people we're just letting you know some alien babies about to pop <laughs> now we join the horde who have their orders changed a little bit here uh now they assumed that they'd be falling back to saturn which i i, I guess that's where they had a base that might have been something we've learned before but i don't remember it um but however before they can actually take off they're advised to rendezvous with the home fleet at the fourth planet mm. um now, this is important because the home fleet, which we are assuming is just like a massive conglomeration of Hordians, right? Like just a, a, an ab- absolute cavalry and, and civilization of Hordians. They've never been this close to Earth. So that's the closest that their home fleet has ever gotten to the planet. But also, didn't we learn earlier that the Vaxians like, sent the probe there? They're hanging out there? So I don't know if maybe I'm being too dense or if I misread, but it seems like they 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 were able to like trace that broadcast where the Vaxians were sending a probe to the fourth planet. Now they're heading to the fourth planet where their home fleet is. Feels kind of uh, weird. Yeah, there's some definitely some editorial mumbo jumbo going on there. It seems like that seemed out of place. It seems like a backwards piece of writing there. Yeah, it's either there's collusion we're going to discover here or it's really just an oversight. Um, now back to the Padilla, Aunt May and company watch the radar screen as the Horde and the Vaxian forces both leave Earth's orbit. And we find out that, uh, radar technology in the future kind of sucks because, uh, once both groups pass behind the moon, they vanish off the screen. So, uh, that's not really great radar for inter interstellar war, right? It's like, oh, hell no. if you, if you get close enough to the, if you get close enough to where you're on our side of the moon, the deal's done already, right? Definitely. <laughs> you're gonna, My you're God. Destroy us. But that's that's as far as their radar goes. Now, uh, we hop over to South Africa, and Cape Town has been secured. So uh, let's uh, let's you know let's unfurl the banner. Mission accomplished. The war is over. I can't believe it. Like the entire thing that they led up, they ended up wrapping up the war in issue twenty six. To me, you wrap up a war in issue 25 with a double-sized issue, and you know what I mean? You make a big deal out of it. This seems like another writer's overstatement, you know what I mean? Yeah. Another missed opportunity here. So if you're going to make a big deal out of your title, you know, you shoot the final load in episode, you know, in issue 25, and then you launch your new your new storyline or your killer moratory, wherever else is about to come, you know, from then on. But no, we get it in just... You know, issue 26, just as a regular everyday thing. And it just seems like very nonchalant into the war. Like the moratory didn't even get their comeuppance to, you know, to rid the earth of the war. You know, it was just some alien race that we have not completely met that just Mm -hmm. took them out right away. It's almost anticlimactic in a way. It's it's big time anticlimactic here. And yeah, because I mean, this could have been 25 and 26 could have been merged into a giant size 26, 25 or even an annual where they where oh. they end the war, you know. Um, but yeah, this is just very out of nowhere. Um, uh, the, the whole the whole thing. I mean, we'll talk. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll actually talk about the issue after we finish the synopsis here. But we're, we're just about done with it here. Um, we got Brava. We wrap up here. Brava is a. Uh, She's watching the sunset. She's standing, uh, you know, at the horizon. She's feeling as though she really ought to be happier right now. And uh, unfortunately, she can't shake the feeling that uh, the real battle might have only just begun. 
Um, now the parting uh, she, shot. She ain't stupid. No, no, absolutely not. Now the parting shot of this issue reveals that that vaccine ship, well, it didn't go all that far. It's a, uh, it's, it made it past the moon, but it's hiding out right behind it. So, uh, dun, dun, dun. Yes, looks like they might have designs on us after all. And, uh, that is the end of issue 26. Next issue is called Death Threat. And the cover shows our new covert ops assassin about to strike down Dr. Talima, who, unaware, is bouncing Aileen's baby on his knee. So the final thread mm-hmm. about to be revealed, Aileen's baby. Yep. That's been that's been left under the uh, under the table. Well, I'm, I can't wait for that. I, I completely yeah. I have no recollection of this issue, so I can't wait to dig in and figure out what they're going to do here. But I've got so many ideas of what to do with that baby. It's awesome. Oh, yeah, for sure. But uh, but, you know, wrapping up 26 here, um, as we mentioned, this is uh, such a weird way to end things here. Um, Going against the entire how many pages did we devote to like shadowy rooms full of Padian bigwigs over the past three or four issues where they're like, we need to prolong this war. We need to keep this going. And now all of a sudden it's like we open and it's like, oh, yeah, we've been sent to kill the horde. (laughs) I know, I know, I know, but like I, like I said, the only explanation is the change in leadership is what we've yeah, seen in the last be. one, where they, where they promoted different people to the Paidea, so... We got Wolf, yeah. Yeah, so, so Wolf is already, you know, that this is his play. I don't know if he sees dollar signs with these Vaxians, you know, in, in another way, but, uh, you know, there's money to be made. But there's also mm-hmm. money to be made. You, you think about it, there's always money in the victory celebration as well. So, you know, when when your team wins, you know, their version of the Stanley Cup or, you know, uh, something like that, you know, you you make money off the T-shirts, you make money off the the videos, you know what I mean? You you make money off Mm -hmm. the victory. And then they got another one lined up. So maybe what this is, maybe this is the the end of the uh, the season. You know, this is your season one DVD set. You're going to put the market now and you're getting ready to line her up. So, you know, maybe this is a marketing decision after all. Who knows? Could be. Could be. And, you know, prosperity usually comes after wartime, you know, uh, when when peace sets in and people people get more willing to, uh, to, you know, feel secure and spend money and and try to return to normalcy. So, well, there's definitely money to be made. Here's the way here's the way I look at it. So this is a wrestling analogy. So the only reason that the uh, the attitude era existed was because the Attitude Era had not existed. You know, everybody was in the 80s. It was your Mm -hmm. say your prayers, train, eat your vitamins. It was your wrestling figures. It was your cartoon. You know, it was for kids. Then all of a sudden, you had this sharp change of direction. And, you know, people were all of a sudden like, holy crap, what is happening Mm -hmm. on here? I got to check out Rob. Got to check out Nitro. My God, it's got an edge. People are swearing. There's women's breasts all over the place. It's great. (laughs) Right? And the reason why Mm -hmm. people say why you can't bring the Attitude Era back right now is because you haven't taken it away long enough. Or, well, you have, technically. But you've really got to emphasize that PG era to make it seem like this is new and fresh again. You know what I mean? You got to demark. Yeah, you got to demarcate where you're at now to show that it is that that what was before isn't there anymore to to make you appreciate bringing it back. If you do. Yeah, you've got to take away that ice cream from a kid for years. So when they get that ice cream again, it's the best taste in ice cream they've ever had in their life. You know what I mean? Oh, my God, I've waited all this time. It's back. (laughs) <laughs> so that's that's what I, I'm thinking. That's what they got going on here. So, you know, you take the war away. OK, we can breathe now. And but they got this other, you know, this vaccine army. Maybe we can make a nickel off fighting those guys. Who knows? Could very well be. Um, well, we have no letters page. 
the oh. letter stage, uh, which I guess stands to re- I guess they lost the batch of letters. Um, for bullpen bulletins, we have another mini bulletin here, uh, but we do get a quote of the month if you want yes. to with that. The best way to make people one mind is to bash their heads together. Hulk from Hulk 352. Very good. Very good. That was that was my best Hulk impression, by the way. I thought that was wonderful. Um, (laughs) We have two news items. Oh, I can't wait to dig into this one. Oh, this is horrible. I'm going to get the cops at my door after this. Go ahead. First, it's National Unif- New Unif- that, 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 easy for me to say UNICEF Day on Halloween 1989. Spider-Man will be there, will you? Uh, Spider-Man is designated the safety chair of UNICEF, and as such, he'll be handing out bookmarks and posters with John Romita at various locales. Oh. Uh, we don't so you- know if it's Romita Jr. or Sr., and frankly, I don't know what bookmarks and posters will do for your safety, but uh, <laughs> I guess it's the thought that counts. Oh, man. UNICEF. Did you ever trick a treat for UNICEF? Chris, <laughs> let me tell you a parable, my friend. <laughs> so, so remember I told you a story, you know, maybe a couple episodes ago about my friend who uh, who did things with Columbia House. I remember him. Yeah, you know, that, that friend. So, you know. That dude was uh, a jerk. Yeah, he was a jerk. Well, he was an even bigger jerk what he did with UNICEF. So, oh, no. <laughs> Yes. So, so one of my actual like legit friends actually actually figured out because we would go around and we would have lots of fun. You know, we take our little. So, if anyone doesn't know what UNICEF is, uh, during Halloween or certain seasons of the year, uh, the famine in Africa was huge. So they would all UNICEF yeah. would always raise money to send uh, send the kids who were less fortunate overseas. Okay. So schools around the country would get these little boxes. And they had a little mm-hmm. handle on them. They were orange, and they had like some some kids' faces on the front of them, some cartoon t- figures, and all that type of stuff. And you'd go around from house to house, and you'd shake the box, and and usually this coin happened around, slot on them. Yeah. yeah, they had a little coin slot, and people would give money, and sometimes a lot of money, up to ten, twenty dollars. You know what I mean? So like you could make a lot of money to donate from UNICEF. Now. Oh no. One one of my friends, and this was a legit friend. This wasn't my Columbia House friend. <laughs> figured out. That wait a second, I could buy a lot of Nintendo games if I keep, you know, peddling myself out on the street. So he would literally be dropped off by his parents to oh. subdivisions. Now I don't know if his parents were in on the con where he was taking his uh, UNICEF money, but uh, he would take his. Uh, he would not come home unless he had two to three full boxes of coin oh. and cash oh. in the UNICEF boxes. And guess what? Those things were busted open on the bed every single day, and then it was a trip to the local Wolco, and he would purchase some NES games, some comic books, some posters, trading cards, you name it. So my personal friend, the, you know, the same friend from Columbia House, said, oh, my mm-hmm. God, that's a great idea. I love comics. <laughs> so for two days, I hit the street hardcore, and I was peddling my wares, baby. I accumulated Wait, your friend, your friend, you mean? Yeah, 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 my friend. Yes, Jesus. Yeah. Um, was that a Freudian slip? I'm sorry. Uh, you, you just started speaking in first person or third. One of those persons. Okay, you know, can we start it over? Slipped. Edit, edit, yeah. edit, edit. Okay, okay, we're back. Beep, we're back. Beep, anyway. Beep. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. My, my friend, my friend was out peddling yeah. his wares, and he accumulated twenty-seven dollars in coin, which was a lot back then. That was that was about That's a, a box. And a half. That was yeah, that was a yeah. box and a half of UNICEF. So anyway. 
I broke it open on the bed. And of course I went, uh, Oh my God, my friend went down to the side store and he bought like a stack of comic books and brought them home and displayed them on the bed and, you know, ready to bag and board them and couldn't wait. And then my mother comes in the room and sees my friend mm-hmm. with all these new comics <laughs> and the destroyed UNICEF boxes. Oh no. Did not go over. Well. So, mm. My parents put back every single cent that my friend had spent back in these UNICEF boxes, and I had to go back in shame and deliver all $27 back to the fine folks at UNICEF. But, uh, yeah, so for for every single thing that's out there, there's an entrepreneurial (laughs) venture, no matter how devious, always waiting in the wings. So to Sally Struthers and to UNICEF and all the folks involved with the famine relief. Uh, we apologize. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I wasn't expecting that story. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I'm I'm pretty sure I uh, I trick or treated for UNICEF a couple times, but like the gimmick with us was like we would just bring the boxes to our schools and then the schools would handle it. So yeah. for oh, all well, I know, that's what it was. That's yeah. what it was. But if you were good, you could get those boxes open. Sometimes they wouldn't put the security tab on them or build them improperly where you could get like a little hole in the side and shake it all out. (laughs) Or so I'm told. Or so I'm told. (laughs) Rumor has it. Oh, man. But my mama certainly set my friend straight, I'll tell you that. There were were some chapped asses that night. I I believe it. I believe it. Yeah, I, I was... I was way too much of a boy scout. I still am way too much of a boy scout to even try that. So, yikes. <laughs> I know. I know. Oh. Well, uh, remember that on Halloween, folks. Uh, <laughs> if for any time travelers listening to this in, in your birthday month, they will uh, they will figure, uh, figure this out. Um, We're horrible people. Horrible people. Our second news item is uh, basically a statement that, yes, we understand this is another mini bulletin. Don't know why they're wasting room in this mini bulletin to tell us that it's a mini bulletin because clearly it's only a half page big. So it's pretty yes, it's a mini bulletin. But uh, they tell us not to worry because they promise, promise, pinky swear that the priceless profiles will return next month. And by golly, we can hardly wait. I cannot wait to hear more of those in-depth people analysis. My God. Oh, Lordy, Lordy, Lordy. So good. I'm going to flip through our issue here and see if I can find it. Oh, Lord, we have an ad for Marvel Jackets next time. That'll be funny. Um, <laughs> next next week, we will be talking about Glenn Hurdling. That is our profile. So fans and family of uh, Glenn Hurdling, uh, we expect to see you here next week. Uh, <laughs> did you see a message from Jesse Starcher? So Jesse Starcher, yes, who, I did. Who's, our, who's our good friend, mm-hmm. actually took the time to write after listening to our episode. To Gregory to, uh, Wright. To Gregory Wright, who was one of the profiles that we did. And Starcher actually told him that his profile was covered on our show. <laughs> Hope he didn't bury him too bad. Well, and Gregory, he asked, yeah, because Gregory Wright, one of his odd habits was that he mixed Pepsi with milk. <laughs> and uh, and our man Jesse asked him, like, hey, is this, you know, is this still something you do or or, or have you stopped dropping acid? You know, um, and uh, Gregory Wright says he still does do that, but he usually uses Coke. So uh, Gregory, yeah. <laughs> that was pretty cool. Thank you, Jesse. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Thank you, Jesse. And thank you, Greg, for uh, for 
filling us in here. We we like the uh, where are you now sort of stories. Uh, that was cool. Maybe maybe Jesse can be our reporter on the street, our Beat Street reporter who finds out about the real truth behind these profiles. Inquiring minds want to know. I want to know. <laughs> um, now, the Mighty Marvel checklist sucks. Uh, there's no blurbs. Uh, nothing really stands out besides the uh, those three milestone books that we talked about last week. The uh, I think it was like Captain America 350, Avengers 300, and Thor 400. Um, well, they had a couple things. Let's see what they got on this little list here. So, I mean, Marvel Comics Presents, you know, you, you've covered the mm-hmm. ass off that. Wolfpack is still on the go. You've got Excalibur. Now, that doesn't have a hyphen. How is how is Wolfpack only up to its seventh issue? It feels like we've been talking about it for like 800 episodes. That must have been like mega delayed. I don't know oh, what the boy. heck is going on with that. That's If you want a piece of garbage, you know, something to line the birdcage with, find issues of, uh, of Wolfpack because that is trash. Come so back we had next week for Wolfpack Wednesday. <laughs> you got Tales of G.I. Joe, which was a G.I. Joe reprint comic. And it's up to issue 14. They've actually got 14 issues of Tales of G.I. Joe going here. Solo Avengers was at number 15, which is which is okay. Were you a Solo Avengers fan? No, I was not. No. Marvel Age Magazine. (laughs) Marvel Age Magazine. Speaking of 50 cents, Marvel Age Magazine was up to issue 71 here. Hmm. Man. Now, New Universe is still standing. They've got Justice at issue 26. Uh, yep. Speedball is at number six. It's yep. Look at that. <laughs> wow, some pretty good stuff there. I'm, you know what? If I'm looking at this list, I bought quite a bit of this. To be quite honest with you, I was uh, I was a DC guy, but I'm, I think I even got a few Semperfy. Good lord. No, I didn't buy Alpha Flight. There you go. That serves you right. There you go. Sucky, <laughs> sucky, sucky ass Canadians. <laughs> but you're right. Not not much to, not much to preach about there on that one, Chris. No, not a whole heck of a lot here. Um, but that is the uh, the mighty Marvel checklist and the boisterous bullpen bulletins for this month or this week, I suppose. Uh, we hop into the ads here, and uh, we have uh, we have an ad for a story that ran in West Coast Avengers that I think people run pretty hot and cold on. It's a Vision Quest, where uh, where Vision, you know, he he is no longer a, a green and yellow robot. He's a white robot. White. Oh, did Which, I hate that design? I, I did not like the, the design, design. I didn't care for. I like the no. story, though. Oh, definitely. Vision Quest is one of the best things that West Coast Avengers could hang their head on. Might I be mean, the only thing, yeah. Yeah, literally. It might be, I don't even know if there's any if there's another significant arc outside of this, is there? Like that's that's of any maybe the miniseries, concept? maybe the the miniseries oh, yeah, before yeah. it went into yeah, the yeah. ongoing. But other than that, I, I'm not real. I mean. Turning West Coast Avengers into what Force Works is that what they changed it oh. into? I mean, that, well, it became Avengers West Coast. Well, yeah, with Burn, yeah, yep. right around in the middle of Vision Quest, actually, it turned it, it turned was, into Avengers yeah. West Coast, so it would uh, so it would be on the in the same Avengers area <laughs> on the wall, but, the comic but, shop. But what's the difference in the? Yeah, oh yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I have, was that what the reason? That's uh, that's what Burns said. He said because I remember on one of his FAQs they're like, why did you change the name? And he's like, it's like, well, if you're looking for an Avengers book, you're gonna go to the A's. And I, I guess he's right. I you love know. the West Coast Avengers. Yeah. Did you like him? Were you, were you a fan? Did you like him? I, I love the original run when Burns was drawn. Something I loved it. I've dipped into. Was that Steve Englehart started it? Yeah, some of it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Englehart started. I tried getting into I have every issue and I've tr- done several attempts at reading projects. And the only story that I actually like 
is I like Vision Quest and I like the uh, the one where Scarlet Witch joins Magneto. Oh yeah. Well, That's you got to understand if if you were buying Avengers back then, West Coast Avengers was actually it was somewhat of a hot book to be quite honest with you because Avengers mm-hmm. was dying a sad death. So when Byrne came on and introduced you know West Coast Avengers and you had Hawkeye on that cover of the miniseries and I mean I loved everything about it. I I couldn't wait. I was like oh my god it's mm-hmm. finally some Avengers that I want to see. You know what I mean? But sure. uh, that went right off the trail for me. I mean, that was something that was pretty short lived. And, you know, once Byrne got off the book and everything changed up, it just went like everything. And it ran a, and the, it ran like 102 or 103 oh issues. Oh, my yeah. God. It was like on this. Yeah. It was on the shelf forever. And then Force mm-hmm. Works, baby. Yes. Yeah. F- fighting that. Na- were they against like natural disasters and stuff? Oh, that, the, the whole that gimmick? Terrible. That was brutal. Man. And. The only thing I can remember about Force Works is that the gimmick front, the gimmick cover for the first issue, like makes it impossible to read, because yeah. it like telescopes out, like it's like it's like accordion. <laughs> it's, it's I know. <laughs> now uh, speaking of books that were on the shelf for way too long, Alpha Flight, um, Wrath Boy. of the Dream Queen, which I don't remember reading, but the only reason we're mentioning it here is because it's by James D. Hudnall and John Calamy. So, was Calamy on that book long enough? He was on that book for a little while, yeah. So what, did they just have the castaways from Strike Force Moratory, like even Tem- Mr. Thomas Hugh and now... Even Hugh, Calum- yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's exactly who, what they did. Who did this cover? I don't know. I don't know. Might be... It might be Cal... It doesn't look like Calamy. No, it's it too detailed for Calamy. Yeah, it doesn't look like Calamy. Uh, Potts, Potts and, and Lee. Lee? Not Jim, Jim Lee? Can't be. But well, Jim Lee like, was on Alpha Flight. It might be. Brother, it looks like it, man. It's really yeah. good. Absolutely. I'm, yeah, I'm it's a good cover. Out. Listen, take a look at that mouth. There's no question it's Jim Lee. It's got to be. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But those are the only ads worth talking about. Well, barely worth talking about from Strike Force Moratorium <laughs> number 26. But uh, we pulled a couple of other ads from other Marvel books with the same cover date of February 1989. Now, the first one here we talked about a little bit a few weeks ago or several weeks ago. This was the uh, G.I. Joe colon, now you, yes, you, can be the next Joe. And this is featuring the character that they stole from you. They did steal it from me. So if you haven't been listening to Strike Force or this podcast, Moratory Mondays, you missed out the fact that this whole ver- – so G.I. Joe released a campaign, okay, where you could be the next Joe. So they had a, these figures, set of figures called the Steel Brigade. And they all looked the same. They were similar to an Army of Stormtroopers, similar. But they were masked. But the whole yeah. thing was was that you could write in and you could check a series of boxes. So you had to check off all the characteristics of your character. So, you know, what are you the best at? You know, do you consider yourself to be the type of man who, you know, inspires respect? Do you have military skill, artistic skill? You know, what I branch love the martial of martial arts skill? Yes. You know, what service branch? Were you in the Army, the Navy, the Air Force? Yeah. Were you a martial arts expert? Did you do Taekwondo, Kung Fu? You know, did you have schooling in, you know, airborne school or condo school, special forces? You know, so basically what you're doing, you're building your profile. So, you know, every single G.I. Joe had their own uh, profile on the back. So Mm -hmm. when you fill out this thing, they would send you a G.I. Joe. With the name that you created and all your specifics on your own card. So it was like building your own G.I. Joe. Yeah. Right. Now, as a kid, I thought that this was the most horrific thing, and I was almost on the verge of of, uh, of suing as a uh, – how old was this? This was 88. So what, 88. what grade? 
88. I was in grade, just getting out of grade seven at this point. And I remember seeing this and I'm like, oh, my God, that's my character Mudslinger that I had created <laughs> the year before. So I used to do so. I'm a sketcher and I wasn't I'm not a terribly gifted sketcher, I freely admit. Uh, but I always used to sketch and I used to bring in exercise books and they were in a binder and I used to hide away in the back of the class and I would draw, you know, my characters. My, but my thing was was drawing G.I. Joe technical readout. So I would always draw my character. I'd give him a name and then I draw his vehicle. So I had a mm. whole book turned sideways of all these characters. So I had Mudslinger, which was basically this Steel Brigade character. I mean, exactly. It had the vest. It had the helmet. I mean, if you saw how close the helmet was to what actually came out, you would go, holy crap, you weren't kidding. <laughs> and I had him all laid out. And, and his vehicle was the Pond Skipper. Don't ask where I came up with these names. I'm in Newfoundland. Leave me alone. <laughs> but, but but anyway i remember seeing this and i was just like i was mad and you could be only so mad in grade eight but i mean i, I was that level i was grade eight level mad when i saw this i couldn't believe it i honestly thought that the fine folks who were making gi joe had had found my exercise book somewhere and stole my idea somebody in my class was a pi recruit and they were stealing my <laughs> ideas i guarantee it man you talk about deflating, but I never did get my Steel Brigade figure. It was it was one of those things that, like you, I, I can't just bring myself to do certain things. And it's just like yeah. my morals were against it, seeing that it was my creation on the page. <laughs> to me, I like to have one now and actually name a Mudslinger and stick them on my shelf. I'm like, you there bastards. You go. Can you get a Steel Brigade figure? Do they still have those? Can you get them? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I, I, might, I, I might just so. go ahead. I might just go yeah. ahead and get someone to do me a custom uh, a custom. The Mudslinger, oh my god, what a horrible name. But anyway, your kids, your kids, you're drawn. What do you want? <laughs> I, I love here you have a, where you can choose your, your level of martial arts expertise here. You pick your disciplines, right? And yep. the choices are Taekwondo, Jiu Jitsu, Karate, Kung Fu, Zen Sword, and Throwing Stars. <laughs> there you go. See, throwing Stars, about. the martial art of Throwing Stars. Listen. Listen, you know that ninjas were hot back then, or they're on the actually they're on the dying end of it here. So you're talking, you know, 84, 85 when uh, you know the ninja movies were out. But the ninja fad with the throwing stars and all that were still very much alive here in '88. But on Shinobi the dying end of it. Thing, so. yeah. mm -hmm. Yes, my God, Ninja Gaiden for NES, which oh, I still, yeah. which was incredibly hard. Yes. But, but then you had to send it. You had to send it to a specific department in Hasbro. It was Hasbro Direct, where they actually created, you know, your own custom figures. I mean, this, you know what? This is money in the bank. Customized figures. You see them around. Like you can get. Like I know that the wrestling figure industry, you can make your own custom wrestling figure. If you send out pictures of yourself, you really? know, say, say for example, your head. You can take a picture of your head, the side of your head. Uh, and the back of your head and a picture of your body just standing up with your arms out and they can actually do a full 3d design and send you your own exclusive action figure like in wrestling gear and you can pick it out oh, you can wow. literally customize it top to bottom i mean this is an in just imagine that back in the 80s when like action oh, figures were it. could you imagine what you could create i mean dude yeah You'd be in Star Wars. You'd be in G.I. Joe. Oh, man. <laughs> have a big rubber LJN uh, wrestling figure of yourself. That'd be <laughs> crispy. Crispy Juan K. Bailey. You know what I mean? You, you could literally be your own Jedi. You could be your Oh, I definitely have my own wrestling figure. Of course. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
Now, the reason why I never did one of these sort of things is like right here on the uh, mail away form here, because uh, you have at the very bottom, it says include your parents name. Oh. That makes that makes you feel like you're like a like a little kid. And and when you're older than a little kid and you're putting your parents name on your on your, the action figure that's going to be mailed to your house, that's, <laughs> that's, kind of, that's <laughs> you just got to make your you just got to make yourself the parent, man. That's what you got to do. <laughs> then, you go. then, then, then your mother will be like, wait a second, Chris, did you have a child I didn't know about you ordering action figures for? You're not <laughs> seriously ordering action figures. <laughs> Get out. Uh, yeah. I bet you, I bet, I bet you, I bet you're hiding your own Chris Sheehan wrestling figure from your wife that you just purchased right to this day. I bet it's under the bed. <laughs> Be careful. <laughs> she might, no, she'll never listen, so it's okay. Um, it's funny that Hasbro's uh, address here is in Ohio, I believe. Uh, I, I worked for Hasbro for a few years, and uh, they're based out of uh, Pawtucket, Rhode Island, which, uh, wow. which is interesting because they have a holiday in Rhode Island that is only celebrated in Rhode Island. So, like, I don't remember the name of it, but I remember, like, we would just get this weird day off during the year. It was, like, around, I think, I want to say it was, like, in September or October that we'd get this just odd random day off. And it'd be like, oh, it's the Founder's Day or something. It's like, okay, <laughs> cool. Okay, well, <laughs> we'll, well we have... We have that too, and I'm telling you right now, this is this is awesome. So if you live in Newfoundland, only you get to experience what's called the Newfoundland Regatta, and St. John's, which is our main city, literally shuts down so everybody can celebrate. So mm-hmm. around the waterfront, they have a series of like races where all the businesses around they would rent what's called a dory, and they would, uh, you know, they would have teams assembled where it would be a large competition. You'd have almost like a fairground set up. You have fireworks set off by the city. You would have all kinds of events freebies giveaways uh musical acts you name it it happens and it's unbelievable like it's really really uh local you know what i mean Mm. like it's a real community uh, celtic yeah Yeah, it's like but it's a real celtic feel environment and uh, you get a real taste of newfoundland man and if you've ever if you ever come to newfoundland make sure it's around regatta time because you'll be like what have i been wasting my time in arizona for (laughs) holy snap now the holiday I was thinking about for Rhode Island is called Victory Day. And Oh, uh, oh yeah, oh, god, that's a cool name for a holiday. Yes, it is observed on the second Monday in August and it commemorates the end of the Second World War. So, there's that. <laughs> now, Chris, how did the Second World War end? Um, I don't know. How did it end? With a large double shot of atomic bombness. I th- I thought the uh, vaccines came. And, <laughs> oh. Wrong war. Um, now, the final ad we're going to look at today is, oh boy, it's for it's for the Studio Four Home DJ machine. <laughs> why is it? And I don't know why. Why is it that I see our uh, see our good friend Adam, Mister Hoju, like loving to have this DJ machine? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> oh, this it's, is this is quite the machine. It is. It really is, and the, the ad is wild. It's just this like this kid who's just like really, really into it. He is really, really into it here. Um, so, so it looks like a. It looks like how, what will you describe? It looks like a large soundboard with a mini microphone. It's all white. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's got a tape. It's got the dials and. Yeah, it's yep. got the dials and the switches and all the toggles and all that type of stuff. Like it's it's kitted down a little bit, and it looks like it has a tape deck because it looks like he's playing play and record there at once. So I guess you yeah. can record your own stuff. But 
this machine is cool because it features you can record your own music. It's like your own personal recording studio, Acclaim. So it says you can make your, your own sound effects, including exploding bombs to weird electronic sounds. You can do voiceovers. Weird electronic Shit. sounds. <laughs> I know. That's pretty generic. You can oh. do voiceovers just like TV and radio. Mm-hmm. It makes you a star. You can hold port. You can hold dance parties for your friend. Can you imagine how big of a spaz you would be walking in with your DJ machine? <laughs> with your DJ with your studio four home DJ from Quick. Oh my Shop. God! It's <laughs> and you could, you could have your you you could be DJ C Sheehan. You know what I mean? I think wow, so. Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> Life at a party, the party be thumping. Bring the phone, oh. baby. Goodness gracious, oh. here. Yeah, you could start your career as a professional disc jockey today. All you have to do is head to Toys R Us or Fred Meyer or Caldo and. How much wow. is this? I wonder. I wonder how much. There's no price on here, but uh, gotta figure this one like hundred bucks. It says it's available at Ames. I don't even know what Ames is. What is Ames? Ames was like a like a like a big box store, like a still, like still a around or, or defunct. I, I think it's gone. Okay, so Bloomingdale's know what that is. Caldor, Fred Meyer, uh, Nickel Stern's Toys R Us Adventure. Okay, cool. The thing I can remember about Ames is that uh, <laughs> back a couple years ago, uh, we, me and uh, our buddy Dave uh, Lavahug, we did a radio show online where we played music and music we had absolutely no license to. So uh, oh, we just played no. music. Do you still have those episodes? Uh, you know, they're somewhere. I got to find them. But like we were basically it was like a comic book music show. So we would talk about comics and then we'd be like, OK, now yeah, here's here's the Doobie Brothers. And we play us. You know, <laughs> and uh, <Here's>, we, <laughs> your career was short lived saying and here's the Doobie Brothers. <laughs> we 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 actually had like a like a mix maker sort of a program here it was Mixler uh, was the uh, was the was the website that we played on. And. I didn't I was doing all the uh, I was I was setting up the playlists and I uh, I didn't know how to use them. So we were kind of flying blind here. And we started the show with uh, Into the Night by Benny Mardonis, which if you've never heard this song, find it, because the uh, the first (laughs) the first line of the song is she's just 16 years old. Leave her alone, they said. So it's a very, it's like a very romantic sounding song, but it, it is very predatory if you actually listen to the lyrics. <laughs> that is and, horrible. Uh, oh boy, it, it but it's a, like it's like a really like catchy song. It's like really good, but uh, the words are just the worst. So we played that first <laughs> because we thought it was hilarious, and we we even tracked the dude down on Twitter, but he never got back to us. Um, but then. I didn't realize that I had to pull the song off the playlist to put the next song on. So I left that song on there figuring it already played it. So it won't play it again. So we go back to the next music block and it plays Benny Mardonis again. And it's like, <laughs> well, hell, okay, we're just going to let it play. And then we, we come back and I'm like, well, if it didn't get you pregnant the first time, it sure did the second. So we, uh, <laughs> we played it off. But uh, we, <laughs> we were trying to figure out theme weeks. So like we did like a yacht rock week because we were both huge yacht rock yeah, fans. We love oh, Michael yeah, McDonald definitely. and uh, uh, Christopher Cross. Uh, then we did like a 90s night and uh, we were going to do one with uh, we wanted to do like a promotional night. And I found this music video from Ames. It was part of their training, uh, their training video. 
and it was this old woman it was this old woman rapping about the changing rooms at Ames where like <laughs> oh dude it is I'll, that's another one I'll have to dig up and, and link to the uh, to the show notes here it's this old woman rapping about how you can only take six things into the uh, changing room and, and that's the whole thing. She's rapping for she's rapping for like four or five minutes about put, of only taking six things into the change room, and how to go about like enforcing this rules as a, uh, this rule as a child employee. It, it was just insane. But uh, that was that was what I can remember about Ames. Anytime I see uh, Ames, I think about this old woman rapping. I wish I wish that I had cool training videos because I never ever. You know, a lot of the ones that a lot of the jobs that I've had have had what was called computer based learning CBLs and they would Mm -hmm. have, you know, you go in and you click on things and a video would play, you know, an embedded video. And that was supposed to be cutting edge technology at the time. Sure. But I went to work at a Sears. Now, it was a catalog location. okay? so it was catalog only. So you couldn't come in. They had a showroom where you could buy, you know, seven or eight different style items like a large TV or a washer and dryer. That's all they had in the showroom. So they never really had anything there to buy. It wasn't like a traditional Sears because it was a catalog outlet. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which Oh, I forgot to tell you, I got a great wrestling story about that. I'll share it another time. But anyway, (laughs) uh, yes. But anyway, working at Sears, they had training videos. Now, this is in the time like VHS is, you know, uh, a a dead thing at this point. You know, move, you know, DVDs have been around for years and all this stuff. And this guy comes out with an armload. And I'd say about seven or eight VHS tapes that he wanted me to take home and watch. And I'm like, well, I'll see if I can dust off the old VCR. Okay, (laughs) but these were the driest things you will ever see. It was like how to sell a washer and dryer. And it was this guy, he was monotone, and he was telling me to speak excitedly about the turn cycles. (laughs) You should really check out the agitator on this machine. It's revolutionary. You're like, oh. It was. Grime doesn't stand a chance. (laughs) It was was unbelievable. Like, you talk about the driest, the most boring. Like, I would love somebody to kick into a rap or something halfway through that one. But <laughs> no, sir. It was this guy. It was an older gentleman. He's wearing the cardigan. And he's trying to walk you through how to sell oh, and how to buy a washer and dryer. <laughs> Talk about the agitator with excitement. Oh, it was horrible. Oh, my God. Uh, I've, I've only worked in retail for um, like two weeks. I worked at a Hobby Lobby. Um, oh, yeah. Because awesome. they, yeah, they were because I, I think I've told this story. My entire interview, I sat down. And the guy goes, how's your back? And I said, my back's fine. He goes, OK, you can start <laughs> tomorrow because we were building. Yeah, we were building the store. Um, but once like everything got you know situated and everything was in place, he's like, OK, well, we don't need you anymore. You you you're you have a beard. You're scary. Good out. Oh, um, my God. Well, you know what? There is a large retailer who was the worst at that. And I, I don't need to say the name because you can you can pretty well guess. But they were the worst. <laughs> say, for example, there was a large project that was coming up. You know, they were doing a renovation in store or mm-hmm. they, you know, like uh, maybe changing a, to a super center. <laughs> well, I'm just saying maybe. Yes, maybe a conversion. Perhaps, was just off the top well, maybe of they head, had yes. a summer event. Well, they would do mass hiring. And I mean, like you see people coming in through the cattle stalls. Oh, next, next cheeseburger, cheeseburger, <laughs> cheeseburger. And by the Jesus, man, you talk about right on the date. If you were a manager, you'd have to go down and you'd have to line them up one by one. Put a <laughs> right in. <laughs> yep. <laughs> if, 
but it was so like inhuman and just like you know some of these people were great workers some people couldn't care less you know they're you know sure. they were from Tempe, probably the bottom of the yeah. yeah the bottom of the ocean where they found them you know a trawler <laughs> kept you know they were thawed out from ice like captain america who knows but uh but i mean it's just i mean retail can be an inhuman place to work especially if you're I don't, I don't know what other places you've been around but i've been in retail for much longer than i'd ever care to admit but mm. it can be the most cold, just oh, calculated sure. place. And depending on who you work for, I got the good fortune of working for a great company right now. But I've worked for the worst as well. And I can tell you, brother, that ain't no fun just lining people up and going, fired, 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 double fired. Mm. Now we, we, you uh, suck we had to so, come in. You suck so bad, I'm going to hire you again and fired. <laughs> When I got fired, the guy's like, uh, when I got let go, I didn't get fired. He made sure to tell us all that. Um, He's like, uh, he's like, I wish I could keep you, but I can't. And I was like, okay. He's like, you're a really good worker. I'm like, "Uh uh-huh. And he's like, so I don't want this to be like a bad separation. I'm like, I'm like, okay, dude, I've kissed my sister before. It's like, (laughs) I, it's like, okay, you're giving me, you know, it's like, there's nothing here, dude. Just, you know, whatever. But, uh, like the first day in, we had to watch those videos and, uh, the video was about um, what? What do they? What do they call it when you're trying to stop people from stealing? What is it? Loss prevention? Uh, is that the word? Yeah. yeah. If you're if you're in the the, the uh, retailer that builds a super center, it's loss prevention. Yeah. Yes. So we uh, we had to watch the first. We watched the Code Adam one, which was the oh uh, Code Adam after, missing child. Yeah, missing Adam child. Walsh's or uh, John Walsh's son. Yeah. Um, which is beneficial, of course. But then we did the loss prevention one, where they're basically telling you if you see somebody stealing, let them steal. Oh yeah, and, yeah. You're uh, not you're not allowed to interact. You're not well. Funny story. I worked for three and a half years as a loss prevention officer. Mm-hmm. So I I have encountered every single thing. I've been swung at, spit at, you know, karate chopped. You know, you name it. Oh it's, it's it's happened. Yeah, but but now I, I'm not I'm not one of these guys you see that are rolling around on the parking lot taking knife shots and everything. No 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 no. I was in no. Newfoundland, Canada, where you know you were basically. You know, just a squeegee away from being a maintenance guy. <laughs> so <laughs> let, let's, let's 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 be honest here. <laughs> but yeah, I've seen a lot of shit. But you're right; they they really didn't want uh, want staff to, you know, engage at all. Put they would have in danger. Sure. Yeah, I'd get a call on my phone. Hey, Chris, you know, we got a guy down in electronics stealing DVDs. I saw him. You need mm-hmm. to catch him. And you're like, okay, I'll come out. Then yep. you know you don't see him do anything, it. and they're they're wondering why you didn't stop him. You're like. I didn't see him take anything, but I saw it. I'm like, okay, yeah, I trust you with your with my job. Thank you. <laughs> so, oh, so like the, this video like goes on for like 20 minutes telling us don't engage, don't engage, don't engage. And the, the video goes off, and then the manager comes in, and he's like, yeah, they say don't engage, but last time someone was trying to steal a birdhouse, and I chased him into the dry, into the parking lot, and I tackled him. It's like, <laughs> it's like dude, what do you want us to do then? It's like you're, you're, it's like you're calling us wusses if we don't do it, but the, 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 we'll get fired if we do. So oh, yeah, you, you, get, you, you get written up right away if you engage. Yeah, hundred percent. Sure, sure. Yeah, talking out of both sides of your mouth. Hey, you let him go. Oh, don't touch him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what? What? I'm confused here. You're in this. You're in this weird stance where you want to act, but you can't. You're frozen in the phantom zone, just wondering what you should do with this petty criminal. They used to get mad at me because because uh, I, I was around for like three days after we opened because like uh, that that's when, that was when we went into the weekend and they told me to get the hell away. But uh, and this is probably why 
Because I would get, because like people would steal things out of the wrappers, you know, like oh, if it was oh, a, yeah. a bag, like a bag of like fake diamonds for in the craft section, they would just pocket the diamonds and leave the bag and package there. So every day I would sweep through the store and I would pick up all the empty wrappers and I would give them to the manager. And I'm like, here's all the shit that was stolen. <laughs> <laughs> he's, like, he's like why do you keep bringing these to me it's like what you want me to leave them on the floor what do you want me to do with them i'm giving them to you so you know <laughs> but uh that uh then i got i got let go and uh and i actually ran into the guy at a sam's club uh about six months later and he he ran the other direction so it was kind of funny but uh yeah that's that's my story of uh i don't know how we got on the subject but i worked for hobby lobby I, for about eight days I, I got to tell you my coup de gras, and we'll wrap on yes. this maybe. Ready for this? So my coup de gras, my my statement that I'm remembered for in, in, during my time as a loss prevention colleague, okay? Ready? Or associate. Ready for this? Mm-hmm. So I had a little bastard named Kyle who was constantly stealing, like, uh, Nintendo games and CDs and all that stuff, okay? And nobody mm-hmm. could ever catch this guy. He knew my schedule. He knew what my car looked like. He knew exactly when I was... Yeah, he was a white whale. So guess what Chris did one time? So it was around Christmas time, and we had a lot of large TVs. It was the old, uh, you know, the old CRT TVs. So, I mean, mm-hmm. when you get like a 32-inch one, they had a giant box, okay? Oh, sure. Yeah. So anyway, they were in the back room, and they were setting up displays because they were, you know, they are unpacking, you know, TVs to put, you know, showcase on their on the sales floor. So anyway, I was like, hey, can I have that box? And they're like, well, what do you need it for? I said, just trust me. So anyway, I go into my last prevention office and I take out my utility knife and I cut myself some eye holes. And when nobody's looking, I go out and I place the TV box right in front, uh, right on the shelf, uh, right in front of the CD aisle. And I sit down in the box and holy shit. It was two hours. It was two hours later. And I mean, Kyle was pretty good. He would come in, you know, uh, pretty regularly on the same day, same nights. If he knew I wasn't working, you know, he'd be there, him and his buddies. You know what I mean? And sure enough, it was like taking candy from a baby. And he walks right in front of me. Here I am. And I mean, I'm ready to piss my pants in his boxes. I've been in there for two hours, sweating like, you know, Rambo stuck in a concentration camp or something. And he comes and oh, my God, it was just just this burst of energy that I got. And, uh, you know, it was almost like when he left with those CDs, it was like I exploded out of that box. Picture the Kool-Aid man breaking through a wall. It was just like the poor guy. I mean, he was only like, you know, 14 years old. Maybe he almost shit his pants completely with this idiot jumping out of a TV box trying to stop him from stealing fifteen dollars worth of CDs. But uh, oh, yeah. That's where I made my name, baby. Oh, Chris Bailey, the, the box guy. <laughs> you remember that guy that caught that guy with the box? It was Chris, yeah. <laughs> yep, oh, I, I love it. it. Oh, yeah. Oh. That was me, baby. Boy, oh, boy. Okay. I, I think uh, I think we've gone on quite yes. long enough here. So we will, uh, we will uh, proceed to the – yes, we will proceed to the wrap here and uh, – Let's see here. Do we have any final thoughts? I don't know. Do you have any plugs you'd like to uh, share? My God, if I plug anything else, my my complete life history will be on demand. Nope. You could just I'll tell you what. Send me some comments on the Twitter. I love chatting with everybody who interacts with us. So uh, you know what? If you like this show, if you don't like this show, let us know or don't let us know. You know, if you don't like it, I don't want to hear from you anyway. So screw you. But uh, you know, if you do want to interact with me, hit me up at, at Charlton underscore Hero on the Twitter, and that's me. I've gone on well long enough, Mr. Sheehan. I don't know about you. 
Very good, very good. Yeah, I, I have as well, but I will continue even more. Uh, you can find me every day at uh, chrisoninfiniteearths.com, where it'll be writings and podcasts and all sorts of stuff. Um, on Twitter at Ace Comics, there are still uh, several hundred Cosmic Treadmill enamel pins, uh, if anybody wants one. Um, our buddy Joe Cabrera, he, uh, he wrote in. He's going to be getting one sent to him uh, probably tomorrow, or actually... What day are we recording? I don't want to reveal what day we're recording this, so uh, I'll just say uh, today yeah. <laughs> it's going in the mail. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, no, so he'll be getting it soon, hopefully. Uh, I have sent a few out. Have you gotten yours yet? I have not. No, I, I'm I'm a lazy ass guy from uh, you know I I don't check my mail because I'm because ah. I'm because I'm cool like that. So you know I mm. will check it. Now do you it say might, if it's already if it's already been be sent out? out? Oh well, I'll just Un- unless, the, unless the uh, unless the borders are closed down, which very well might be, <laughs> uh, so it might be sitting somewhere like uh, in like New York or something, just waiting for things to open. But who knows? Um, that's, that's I, I have the gotten, separation. Yes, I have received word that a few folks have gotten them and they've sent pictures of them and uh, where they're displaying them. Uh, uh, a good friend of the uh, the show in the in the blog, uh, another Chris, yet another Chris. He uh he put his cosmic treadmill pin among the rest of his comic book enamel pins, so it looks really cool. It's ah, uh, cool. there's a bunch of X Men pins and uh, Captain America pins, and, and then there's a cosmic treadmill pin in there. So that's uh that's some good stuff. So I'm gonna yes. send you the nipples the nipple shot. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yes, those are still available. If you want one, just reach out to me on Twitter at Ace Comics or Weird Comics History at gmail.com, and I will get that out in the mail to you. Now that I know how to mail things, I figured it out. Um, also, uh, we are just four weeks away from the final episode of Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill. That's episode 150. Should be hitting the second Sunday in September. So if you'd like to be a part of that, uh, several people have already sent in audio clips uh, talking about their memories of the show and uh, of my partnership with Reggie. So uh, they're real fun to listen to, and I'm going to be including them in the uh, that final episode. Uh, a few of our listeners have also uh, written in the little uh, little pieces that I'm going to read. Uh, our, our, our good friend uh, Green Lantern HG wrote in a, a beautiful piece that I'm going to be reading. I've uh, got set up with a few folks uh, who are going to be just talking to me about it uh, over the next few weeks. That'll be included in that episode. So that's uh, going to be a big celebration episode, uh, celebrating this project that uh, that has really been a huge part of my life for the past half decade. So if you do want to be a part of it, don't hesitate to reach out. The more the merrier. Um, and uh, I look forward to hearing from you. But uh, I think that's all the time, finally, all the time we'll take up from you this week. We'll let you get back on with the rest of your lives and uh, the rest of your playlist. So uh, we uh, appreciate it so much that you'd hang out with us. It means the world to us. Again, if you want to reach out, please do. And uh, I think that's all we've got. So uh, till next time, we will uh, talk to you again real soon. All right. Wait for it. Wait for it. Wait for it. See ya. See ya.